Ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. What I'd like to have right now... With a big boys play. This is where the big boys play, huh? This is where the big boys play. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Well, hello, everyone, and you're listening once again to Where the Big Boys Play. Uh, we're back. How are you doing, Chad? Doing good, Parv. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm good. Yeah, fresh and ready. I feel rested, Chad. Rested. Yeah, this is one of the uh, first shows we've done in a while where it hasn't been uh, pre-sunrise at my house when we've recorded. So I'm looking forward to it. Actually, a kind of a midday treat. I don't think we've ever recorded it this time, so... No, no. I I took a special uh, trip back from the office just to do this, so... Well, lovely. (laughs) Uh, Before we get started, Parv, I... uh, Kind of a bit of sad news. One of our fans, Brian Meyer, bam. Uh, I actually need to ask him if he started listening to us after the uh, Starcade 88 appearance by Scott and Justin, or if he was pre that. But I know he's uh, definitely been on board with us at where the big boys play around that time and listened, commented, contributed. Uh, unfortunately, his, his mom passed away last week. He wrote a, a very nice soliloquy to her on his Facebook page and uh, asked us to dedicate this show to him, and we are. Um, I know part of just in general, my kind of a little personal antidote for me is I've been lucky enough to – I still have all four of my grandparents living, and, of course, my, par- my parents are still living too, so – I've been very uh, fortunate in that regard, but I know my mom is probably, besides my wife and son, the most important figure in my life, along with my dad. Those four been key figures in my life, so I know that's a that's a tough loss when you're close to your mom and she passes away. No, I, I, absolutely, and I just echo those um, sentiments. So uh, yeah, this one goes out. To, this one goes out to you. Her name was Susan Meyer, so Susan Meyer. Yeah, and I, well, I guess a reminder to anyone, if you haven't uh, rung your mom in a while, give her a ring, say hello. <laughs> my, mom, my mom has watched some terrible wrestling uh, out of her love for me, definitely. Well, uh, well I, uh, I, uh, it was Mother's Day here recently, Chad, and... Um, I got the date wrong by a whole week, so I sent her the card a week ago. Oh, Lord, and I Parf. rang her. I rang her, and she was like, "What are you doing? It's not Mother's Day." <laughs> so, I was like, "Oh, well, at least I was thinking, you know." <laughs> now, how? I mean, it, it's different in the U.S., but I mean, how often is like in general? How often do people talk to their parents when they're grown over there? Is it? Um. I mean, even if you'd be considered close to your parents, would you still only talk to your mom once a week, every once in a while? I'd, I'd say I ring mine about, I speak to her about once or twice a week. But yeah. I, I'm pretty close to my mom, though. She's like, right, a, right. A, a so con- that's close. Yeah. Of mine, you know, I discuss everything with her. So. Right. I mean, I know I'm on the extreme uh, because with the, the town that I grew up with, my my parents is parent my mom's parents my grandparents live an eighth of a mile from my parents house 
uh, and they talk at least two to three times a day. Um, especially with my mom keeping my son, I speak to her at least once a day. So I know that's on the extreme side, but yeah. I, I do think it depends. Like, obviously, I don't live in the same town as my parents. Right, so right. Two, two and a half hour drive to get back to Wales. So, you know, um, I try to ring, you know, I probably don't ring enough, but I try to. <laughs> right. Um, anyway, um, yeah. Was there anything else that we wanted to touch on before we get into the Meltzers this week, Coach? Well, it's been a, it's been about a month for us, and we've had a quite, I don't know, well, we've had a few additions and changes to the PWO PTBN feed, and uh, some, some, I'd say, some exciting news. Um, right at right as this show's coming out was the debut of uh, Chris Zellner's new podcast. Um, it's entitled Exile on Bad Street, and the first episode gives a complete history of the fabulous Freebirds. It has Will, and uh, of course, it's a PWO PTBN podcast, so it has to have Pete on it, the uh, <laughs> the shill whore that he is on every show imaginable. He's become, so, a, he's become a right appeal. Oh, my God. <laughs> he is out of control, but... Uh, but I, I'll tell you part. We I listened to that this morning right before we recorded, and I it may be my favorite podcast so far from this year. It is. I mean, it's it's one of those complete sitting under the learning tree history lessons of uh, the fabulous Freebird. It's it's long, but it chronicles their whole career. Uh, you can kind of listen to it in pieces, I think, and it'd be good where you get the world-class section, the Mid-South section, some interesting stuff in between with the Florida. Uh, I forgot about the Florida Mike Graham insulting Eddie Graham angle. I'd, I'd forgot about that. Uh, so, so just a great podcast there. Yeah. And then also... Uh, go ahead. I, I was going to say as well, if you haven't caught it, uh, Chris Zellner's appearance on uh, Stephen Graham's show, the Pro Wrestling Super Show, which you can also get on the feed, of course, uh, which came out about a week ago. He was really, he was really interesting on that show too, uh, and it's again, it's just sitting under that learning tree. <laughs> um, and I think everybody can learn a little bit from Chris, even if you know lots about wrestling, as all lot, lots of us do. You can always learn more from somebody. His like memory him. is just crazy, like like just starting out. I know. I mean, I, I could, I have watched most of the Freebirds kind of the high points and really I'd say a lot more than, you know, a lot of even casual to hardcore wrestling fans. But the way he kind of starts out with this podcast, like naming off their genesis, the promotions, and then leading that right into how they got to world class was uh, magnificent. Well, great. Well, that's a, that's a welcome addition. Well, what else have we got? So I, I think Brain Buster had dropped uh, when we did our last show, but the second episode of that is out. That'll be a monthly uh, quiz show hosted by Johnny Sorrow. Lots of drops, lots of laughs. That's a, That brings a different variety, I think, to the feed. It's it's a quick listen. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a whole bunch of fun. I, I mean... The, the Zellner pod, as good as it is, you know, they're not a ton of cutting up and stuff like that. It is a history, kind of serious, you know, wrestling podcast. So we kind of wash that down with some goofiness that you have with Brain Buster. And then Kelly and Teen Titan himself, Marty Slees, also have came out with the Tag Teams Back Again podcast, 
where they're chronicling uh, tag teams. They started in 1985. First episode looked at kind of your uh, tag team championship pitcher in WWF in 1985. The second episode, which came out about a week ago, was more uh, makeshift type teams, kind of short-lived tag teams with Andre the Giant, Bob Orton, some of those guys mixed in. Which was interesting. I, I'd never heard of any of those match or watched any of those matches. No, and uh, some of those I didn't even know that, that they'd ever tag together. Right, you know? right. Especially Very interesting pairings. And uh, and as ever, I mean, Kate Kelly, uh, we're blessed on this feed, I guess, to have a number of different uh, historians. Uh, you know, Kelly uh, does some pretty good learning tree stuff in that show, especially in that first episode where he went through the uh, went through the history of the of the kind of you know, the stuff that they're not going to look at. Um, right. I also thought with that uh, show, uh, Chad, that they formed a pretty good tag team themselves. Yeah, kind of like yeah. The... they had good chemistry because uh, Kelly is, um, I mean, he has such a good dry sense of humor um, for the Titans when he's on the Titans and also can bring the historical context. And Marty, you know, our youngster, kind of our uh, pledge recruit at the PWO PTBN fraternity of the uh, 20, 20 something, full of vitriol, full of energy, uh, has a great kind of abrasive Northeastern personality to him that really counteracts Kelly well, I think. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and uh, the, the other thing I noticed, Chad, I don't know if you want to mention this, but uh, what, what was the super no vacancy appearance that you did? Okay. There? So, so yeah, I got, I got inspired by the super, by the uh, New Japan stuff this year, and the only absolutely exclusive Japanese podcast that I know of right offhand is the Big Adam and Mike Audio Nightmare on the F4W uh, Figure Four Weekly observer website which that's a pay site uh now voices of wrestling they obviously do a lot of new japan coverage and uh, japanese wrestling coverage but it's not exclusive there so i hey, want to hey, do hey, what about the old japan excite series that's just... well you know that's that's a special appearance <laughs> Carry on. But anyway, that is, <laughs> I forgot about that. That is um, a, a new podcast I'm doing. I'm still kind of trying to figure out what it's going to do. I was going to do a show on the New Japan Cup that just recently finished, but my computer took a huge crap, and uh, hence I'm actually on the iPhone for this appearance. So I didn't get a show out for the New Japan Cup, but I hope to be uh, doing a show, maybe Invasion Attack, which is their next big show. I can do a show for that. And then also I'm thinking about going back and chronicling some of the old New Japan matches that are on New Japan World uh, to give a little bit of a historical context. Shorter shows is what I'm aiming for. It's a solo format, so kind of... uh, in in U.S. sports radio part, there's a guy named Mike Francesca that uh, that uh, Mike Francesca that does solo uh, like three hour of sports talk a day. He does take some calls, but we'll go on these twenty minute soliloquies uh, at a time. That's that's kind of the vibe I'm going for. Kind of compact shows of the big New Japan shows, maybe some other current day Japanese stuff, and then a little historical context as well. Dragon King Chad. Dragon King Chad. That's exactly <laughs> right. I need to come up with a gimmick name. <laughs> well, if you ever wonder what uh, the show would be like without me, uh, listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
All right, should we get into the Meltzers then? I think it's yeah, time. Yeah, so, so I mean, in general, just check it out. I think we've got a lot of good stuff lined up. I know, I mean, I, I, there's some discussion lately with the burnout of the podcast. We, we understand that. There's a lot of podcasts there. Jokes are coming out that more people have a podcast now than listen to podcasts. But we are really proud of the feed we've created here. Uh, we've kind of mapped out the amount and the quality of shows that we're going to be having each week. And it, it's came out to, you know, about two to three shows a week it should be. And I, I don't think that's too much. I mean, that's certainly a lot of content. But if you're listening to everything or even if you, you know, pick and choose if you're not into Japanese wrestling and don't listen to my show or the Excite series. Uh, nobody's going to get their feelings hurt. We just want to offer a wide variety of high content wrestling podcast stuff for uh, everyone to listen to. And, and I should say, I mean, the idea that nobody listens to this since we started this feed, Chad, we've had two, over 200,000 plays on our podcast. I actually noticed that today when I was uploading the Zellner pod. I, I noticed that, yeah, we had over 200,000 plays since we went to SoundCloud, which... I mean, you know, we had a, we had a decent following on the old uh, iPage that we was at, so yeah. that's pretty incredible. That I think we could safely say we're probably over two hundred and fifty thousand listens for our, all of the PWO PTBN podcast in their existence. Yeah, so I mean, you know, I, I think the idea that nobody listens is not true. Um, I'll just I'll just throw it out there. <laughs> There's there's a lot of I think there's a lot of silent listeners. Yeah, well, there there is this rule on the internet. It used to be that um, they they say for every one person who comments, there's ten other people out there. Right. Or, right. Uh, even on a forum, for every one person who posts, there's ten quiet people. You know. Right. Um, and it's probably the same. You know, something like that. So. I agree. But uh, yeah, if you've never commented, if you've never let us know, shoot us a comment, and um, you know, somebody will say hi to you probably right but yeah how, how can they get in touch chad <laughs> well if we're only uh, you can get in touch with us on the facebook page pwpbn on facebook uh you can send me a friend request directly chad campbell on facebook shouldn't be too hard to find uh and you can follow us on twitter uh, our page at Big boys play WCW. I'm getting close to the illustrious 200 followers, Parv. So, uh, <laughs> big news you, on that front. Or you can follow Pete on there on his. Uh, yes, he is at Titans uh, O Wrestling. No, no G, and just an O. Titans O Wrestling. Yeah, have fun on the Twitter, guys. Um, okay, shall we? Shall we carry on? Sure. Let's get to because the mouse. I'm excited, Chad. It's 1992. We finally made it tonight. We have made it. Beginning of a new year here. It's time for the Wrestling Observer Extra. Wrestling Observer Extra. With Dave Meltzer. Yes, and it's uh, January the 10th edition uh, of the newsletter. Meltzer always goes on holiday, I've noticed. Like last week of December, first week of January. He always has a gap then. I've noticed it every single year. Um, but he well, I know. Well, I guess. I wonder if he went to Japan in 92. I know no, he goes to Japan in '93, um, but I don't know well, in '92. Yeah, that, that could be. Could be catching the. Um, what do they have there? The tag league. Uh, right well, '92 uh, was the actual the first uh, Tokyo Dome show on January fourth. 
so that started that tradition. So I don't know if he went over there for that one or not. Yeah, and we will be reviewing that because it doesn't air until March. Is that right? Oh yeah, uh, actually, yeah. We just—I forgot about that. Yeah, we'll (laughs) we'll throw that in the schedule. But we'll do it in air date, you know. Yeah, we'll Uh, probably do it after a Super Brawl. No, it's do they? Well, we'll get onto that. I'll ask you. I've got some specific questions about that show because I can't remember seeing it. Um, Okay, so um, now the Meltzers around this time are absolutely dominated by Doctor Zorian stuff. Um, Billy Graham has gone to the press with steroid stuff. David Schultz has testified against Vince. Uh, Hulk Hogan has been shown to lie in court. You all know the story. If anybody's a wrestling fan, I, I mean, you know, surely you know about the story of the steroid sc- scandal. Um, and it's absolutely, you know, I would say about, you know, a quarter or more of every newsletter around this time is devoted to that. Um, you know, Meltzer really poured his heart and soul into that story. Um, in this particular newsletter, the only reason I mention it um, is that if you go back and have a look at this newsletter, there is a very detailed uh, uh, interview with where the big boys play legend, Chad, superstar Billy Graham. Um, yeah. <laughs> now, Billy Gra- Now, you'd think that this interview would be all about steroids and stuff, but in fact, it's a really, really detailed shoot on his entire career um and it was really interesting like it goes into like how he uh learned how to do promos from pat patterson in san francisco and his time growing up in calgary and what Stu was like and um there's that story about ivan koloff and eddie uh, ernie ladd and him holding up vince senior uh which you may have uh right across um so really some really good detail in there and um you know Meltzer doesn't always do interviews so um, it's worth checking out for that reason. Obviously, um, there's stuff about um, there's stuff about the steroids uh, stuff in there as well. Um, so that was going on around this time, but there's also very big news in the land of WCW. If I can actually find it and get to it, um, yeah, one of the benefits of coming back from the office, Chad, is that I was able to actually print off the Meltzers. And I've gone through with a highlight pen. <laughs> a highlighter pen. Good use of university funds. Uh, <laughs> say, so. And I've gone through with a highlighter pen and actually, uh, you know, I've actually got the newsletters here, which is quite... Oh, uh, my lord. Yeah, nothing um, makes a podcast like hearing you shuffle through papers. I know. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember what show it's on, but... Uh, <laughs> you were frantically shuffling through all these papers one time. It was quite humorous. Um, okay, so... In WCW, Lex Luger is officially given his notice, um, finishing up on the February the 29th pay-per-view show, which is Super Brawl uh, 2, yeah? Yeah. Um, Luger's three-year contract with WCW expires in March of 1993, but he's expected to be given a limited release, which would allow him to wrestle during the final year of his contract in Japan, which he may not even choose to do, but not in the United States which would legally put a block on his going through the WWF until the spring of 1993. Luger isn't scheduled to work any house shows or TV tapings for the remainder of this month. And, um, and of course, we've, we've discussed this before, Chad, but Luger had used all of his dates up. So right. So you have this bizarre situation where the champion, I mean, who do you think Brock Lesnar is bad? 
Lex Luger at this time. I mean, he can't actually work any dates at all. Yeah, really since the Simmons feud, I mean, we got some stuff with Sting. Uh, I mean, they they but they're basically Starcade was kind of their big money angle to set up the the singles match. Um, really, I mean, I mean, from there to the Super Brawl match, there's just not a lot of interaction between these two as Sting is more preoccupied with the Dangerous Alliance. Now, apparently Luger was on 600 grand a year as a base salary, uh, which is pretty good money in 92. Um, and um, 25 grand per pay-per-view. But um, there is already rumors circulating that he might join the World Bodybuilding Federation for a year and then have a wrestling angle shot and say you into the WF. Now, I find that amazing that Meltzer's got that story already. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is January '92, and that's so that is pretty, pretty hot, uh, pretty hot from whoever told Meltzer that because that right. is what ended up happening. Um, there's some stuff about Luger here. He goes into some detail. He says um, that uh, his main hobby is bodybuilding, and um, th- th- there's something about that he doesn't enjoy the lifestyle of being a wrestler. Because he follows such a strict diet, and it makes it really difficult to do that on the road, um, which is kind of and it, and taking bumps keeps him from training at 100 percent efficiency, <laughs> um, and that he doesn't really have a passion for wrestling itself because um, you know, he, but he's making good money from it, so he does it for that reason. Um, so you know, like we've talked about Luger plenty, uh, Chad, a big loss for. Um, at WCW because Meltzer does it's really, what was interesting to me is uh, Meltzer says by March 93 um, with Hogan like with Bret Hart looking like a bit of a lame lame duck for some reason uh, Ric Flair not being a long term answer Kurt Hennig not being fit um, Roddy Piper rumoured to be going to WCW um, the uh, he mentions The Undertaker Sid um, is in the conversation, but WF are really looking for a, uh, a new babyface. Right. And Meltzer says, by March 93, Luger wouldn't be stale because he'd be off television for one year and would look awfully good. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> now, hmm. now, we've got hindsight, obviously, but I think it's interesting looking at it at this moment. How would you see Luger as a talent if you were Vince? No. Oh, I th- yeah. I mean, I think I think Luger would be one of your blue chip prospects still at this point. Um, I, I think there's no reason to not look at what he'd done in WCW from a performance standpoint, from a box office standpoint, and think with the WWF promotion behind him, and even as a face. I mean, he was a good face, effective face. Luger was. So I have no doubt that Vince thought with his promotional vehicles and skills behind him that he could mold uh luger into an ace of the promotion to carry on after hogan you know was put to pasture now i want to put this question to you chad because we're not going to see luger now until what literally 95 yeah right after uh after super brawl his first appearance will be the first nitro so Uh, okay and obviously the luger that comes back isn't the luger that is right right um and uh, I mean, even on this, even on this show, as we'll talk about, you can see he's already starting to bulk up. And, oh yeah, you know. absolutely huge. 
Um, but uh, here's my question, okay. Luger, okay, in 93, obviously is seen as being a bit of a disaster in hindsight. We can see that. We can talk about booking and all of the rest of the stuff. Did he fail or was it just he, literally 93 was a moment where nobody in any spot, whether it was Hogan, whether it was Luger, whether it was Hart, that the business were just down at that point and there's nobody that any, nothing that anybody could do? That's my question. Yeah, um, I never, I never say nothing that nobody could do. I, I think that's tough because you don't have the the hindsight of having one of those kind of transcendent talents. But if we did, then we wouldn't talk about how bad business was overall. Um, so it's kind of a tough hypothetical in that regard. I, I don't, I don't think Luger was great in that type of role as a face, as far as the all American, it just wasn't the right face role for him. In WCW, when he excelled as a face, it was kind of, he, he still had some cockiness and he still had some, I guess, poise to him. He felt very confident. And I think that counteracted sting who, you know, seemed foolish at times and over exuberant. Uh, Luger was more calculated, more powerful, a different contrast wrestler, which mm-hmm. really played off well. Him and WWF is basically the 90s version of Hulk Hogan as this all American character is what they tried to create. Just, just felt really hollow and was destined to fail. I, I think if Luger would have had a more refined face role, he could have been successful. Um, I mean, how successful? I don't think he'd have been. I don't think we'd have seen a new boom. I don't. I don't think Luger ever could have been that magnitude of mainstream. But as successful as like Bret Hart would be in his 1994 face run, I, I can see that if he was given the right character. I mean, I mean, because '94 Bret Hart's title run is is seen with great, you know, reverence by a lot of fans. And, and this is the quote, because obviously he didn't do particularly good box office, either, right? As we know, right? No, or Michaels in '96 too. Yeah. Another question, Chad. If he pins Yokozuna and doesn't get the count out win right. by the fireworks, which made him look like a chump in everybody's eyes. <laughs> yeah. If he just wins there and then ends up dropping the belt to Bret Hart at Royal Rumble or something like that, okay, is he seen as in such terms as he is by a lot of more casual fans? Um, it's so tough to say because I think by that time he already – I mean, even the way Meltzer describes him there, I don't know if that's Meltzer's opinion about him not having the passion for the bit. I mean, it's so tough to say with Luger because you get that from the smart community at this time. You get that sense with Luger of, you know, he has other passions. He just does wrestling because he makes the most money and stuff like that. I mean, obviously, I don't know Luger personally. I don't know how passionate he is about wrestling or not, but I certainly know that a lot of people in history – that started out wanting to be football players or whatever else that couldn't cut it or had different circumstances became wrestlers. I mean, somebody like Vader. I mean, I don't, does, did Luger have as much passion for wrestling as Vader? I mean, Vader seemed like somebody that 
gave football a try when it didn't work out. He became a wrestler and uh, yeah, he, I mean, he, he was a great wrestler and he had some great matches, but I, I don't think Vader was someone that, you know, studied tapes or had a long knowing history of the business and a framework from that I mean, standpoint. There are guys who actively don't like wrestling, like um, Mike Rotunda, for example, right, is, is right. known for just not being a fan, you know? And I, I never, like, I never felt like now maybe the smart community has it in for Mike Rotunda, but back then he, they didn't. He was seen sure. as being a good worker, right? So Yeah, it's, it seems like that knock on Luger is very odd. I mean, if Vince wanted him to come in to do this WBF thing, then so, you know, so be it. I don't. I don't, and, and also, I mean, let's face it. Like, I mean, Stan Hansen treats it like a business first and foremost, sure, right? Sure. I mean, okay. Anyway, yeah, I also agree that I've always, I've never quite understood why that is such a knock on Luger above all of the. It just, things, it, it just seems like to me he's the one that's the most critical of that, and I, I think that's a combination of Flair, um, yeah. having that opinion. And Flair was seen as the you know the smart fans golden goose around this time. There's no yeah. denying that. Well, well I mean, let, let's face it. If you've got heat with Arn and Flair, you're right. going to be, un- be unpopular with the boys. That's right. Basically... And the the uh, you know the Meltzers of the world. So yeah. mm. that I, th- I think that's kind of your key catalyst, really. Yeah, but but what I'm saying is is that that booking of SummerSlam certainly didn't. The happen. booking of SummerSlam is a, is a pretty big black eye. I mean, that's your that's your easy target. That and him spouting off before WrestleMania 10 on the uh, radio interview or whatever. Those are kind of your easy targets to look at. Um, I mean, him celebrating a count out victory and jumping up and down is a complete travesty and. It, yeah, it's it's really bad. I don't know. I'm, I'm going through 1993 right now uh, chronologically, and I cringe getting to that moment. Yeah, no. The, the, the reason I mention it is because there are some fans, um, especially the ones more on the WWE WF spectrum, where that'll be like the first one or two things they mentioned about Luger. Yeah, I, I think if you're a WWF-centric th- fan and you think of Lex Luger, that's probably your your burning image. Um, and it does seem like there's a lot of fans kind of in our circle right now. Uh, I mean, the people we interact with, there is some drop-off in the 93-94 period with the dark area, but it, it feels like the Lex Express and Hogan yeah. leave at WWF is kind of the reasoning for that, so that gives a negative I mean, connotation. I'll, I'll tell you, Chad, in my journey, SummerSlam 93 is the last event. That's the, like, traditionally that's been the start of my black period, and then I come back sometime in the Monday Night Wars, you know? Right. Um, anyway, um... Uh, yes, um, so goodbye to Sexy Lexi. We'll miss you, Lex, um, until you come back, I guess, in a couple of years. Well, we still got him at Super Brawl, but yeah. Yeah, for, yeah but for all intents and purposes. All so. intents and purposes, I would say the Luger that we came to really track and follow the past four years. Uh, honestly, to me, he died with uh, Halloween Havoc 91. I mean, the, the Steiner Clash match is what it is and then we get the sting match coming up but i really feel like the luger we knew was gone after the simmons title defense um 
Okay, so the, the next bit of news is this WCW New Japan Super Show at the Egg Dome. Um, I'm trying to work out if Meltzer was there by what you're saying, but he doesn't mention. Um, but um, they're going to show that in March. Now, do they show the Luger match or do they cut it? I actually don't know that. I don't think I've ever seen that pay-per-view in full. I don't think I've seen it either. I've seen matches from there. Uh, a sampling, but I don't think I've ever seen the whole thing in full. They always talk about Rude Chono being like a five-star match, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Rude and Chono had a really great match in the 92 G1 Climax. I don't think it's five stars, but it's it's a great match. So that's kind not, of, that, that's not that show? No, that's in August. Oh, okay. Sorry. Because I, I, I know they uh, there's, there's this ongoing narrative of like the Japanese guys like dogging it on the US shows and then right better matches. Yeah, um, this this show has kind of a weird. There's some weird stuff going on with this show. You got Shinya Hashimoto, who was one of the three Musketeers in New Japan. He faces Bill Kazmaier, which <laughs> seems like a complete waste of Shinya. I mean, one of the greatest Japanese workers of all time, facing a complete stiff in Kazmaier who. I mean, by that point, WCW knew what they had with him, too. So it wasn't like he got any of a push. He was still getting that big push. I mean, the bloom was off the rose with him. So that's an odd decision. Now, you got Vader and El Gigante facing each other, which is kind of odd. Dusty and Dustin teaming up uh, to face Kim Duck and Misa Saito. Um, there, there's some odd stuff, and then on top is Fujinami versus Chosu, which is one of the uh, greatest rivalries from New Japan in the 1980s. They kind of revitalized that rivalry, but uh, Fujinami in the 90s was very, I'd say, lackluster overall. So, so him in these main event spots for the Tokyo Dome feels kind of hollow. I have seen that match, and it's. It's good, but it certainly doesn't hold a candle to their uh, 1980 series. Yeah, um, that show apparently drew three million dollars, John. Wow! So, that, um, making it the biggest gate since the last WCW New Japan Super Show. Um, so, you'd think they'd do them more often, wouldn't you? Given that yeah, drawing such a well, big numbers. It's weird because, I mean, watching '91. New Japan, the early 90s New Japan, like the promotion is good from a match, really good from a match quality standpoint, you know, could be comparable to all Japan, really. I think 93 is where you start to see a greater divide. Um, But but the promotion doesn't feel that hot. I mean, to me, like to be selling out 50,000 siege arenas and the Tokyo Dome multiple times. um, WCW wasn't. Yeah, I mean, WCW certainly wasn't. And, 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 yeah, I mean, even New Japan, like, watching All Japan, some of those Budokan stuff that you're watching right now, Parv, yeah. from, like, 91, 92, um, even though, I mean, New Japan feels, at best, like, lateral to me as a promotion as All Japan, but they still, I guess, that for the big shows and even for the Sumo Hall shows for the G1, we're drawing as good, if not better, than All Japan, which... Just doesn't seem that way when you watch the product going through. Okay, well, now, Chad, um, in one of the more embarrassing moments in Wrestling Observer history, 
um, a guy called Santili, uh, go, who is going by a pseudonym MC Cool Ernie, okay, <laughs> has has written the 1991 wrestling rap, um, seemingly a piss take of PN News. Um, it is absolutely abysmal, Chad. I'll just go. I'm just going to read you some rhymes here, okay? Since rapping about wrestling's become the thing to do, I've written lots of rhymes and I'll share them with you. The American Dream began the year with a new look. He traded his polka dots for a pencil and book. Though it had been a while, he proved he wasn't rusty by giving the biggest push to a character named Dusty. Meanwhile in the Fed, Vince K caused an uproar when he came up with an angle to exploit the Gulf War. Some columnists suggested he wasn't a nice guy, but you wouldn't know it if you only read SI. No Vinny, no Vinny, no Vinny, no. Fucking hell. It keeps on going on. <laughs> Missy took our hearts and turned them topsy-turvy <laughs> when we found out that her boyfriend was Jason Hervey. Sherry dropped Savage and got a million-dollar man, and now she stores in Franklin's where she doesn't have a tan. Oh, it's just, it, it goes on for pages and pages and pages. And now, Yeah, now this is, I, I'd assume, an adult, an adult male... In 1991, late 1991, early 1992, writing a rap, yeah, mailing it to a person in California, and then getting it printed. Yeah. That, my friends, is about as wrestling nerdy as you can get. Uh, short of booking the 1983 WWF on a wrestling simulator, I don't, I don't think you could get much more nerdy than that in your wrestling fandom. Uh, all reading out the rap, what, 23 years? <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, we're, we are historians, of of this time period, so. Um, I've just found this clincher, look. Hulk Hogan spoke about steroids with Arsino and told a fairy tale worthy of Pinocchio. <laughs> <laughs> so damn, that's so bad. Christ are we sure God. this wasn't PN News? This does sound like his raps, honest to yeah, God. Give him the Wu-Tang Clan a run for them when he's there. Bloody hell. Um, oh, okay, so, so that was that for that. Um, so uh, uh, we now want to January the 20th. Um, and they, they've got the Observer um, Awards. I won't read them all out, but... Um, just say agree or disagree, Chad. Because uh, okay. have you have you actually been through ninety two? You haven't, have you? In the no, ninety two is kind of the 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 one ninety two and ninety five now are the last two years that uh, I haven't tracked through. So but they've yeah. gone Jumbo is one, Flair is two, Liger three, Muta four, Bull Nakano five. That's uh, for most outstanding or uh, wrestler of the year. Okay, yeah. So uh, with with Masawa a distant sixth. So read the top ones again, so, sorry. So, so Jumbo had like 2,000, um, he had 1,908 points, the way they do it, right? Flair mm-hmm. had 1,200 points, uh, Liger, about 1,000, Muta, 500, Bulnacano, 355, and then literally the next ones are Masawa, 271, Anita, 240, and Hulk Hogan, 219, with Luger down 178. Is outstanding after this, or uh, that's wrestler of the year. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if he split it because now, you know, he has the wrestler of the year, which kind of takes into effect box office. No, no, now it's got most outstanding wrestler. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, when wrestler of the year, that's way too high for Flair. I don't know. I mean, one, he's not that. <laughs> the box office wasn't great, as we know, with WCW. And from a match quality standpoint, I don't know what he did to justify being number two. Well, Dan Cricketella, because he's got comments here. Ric Flair, by, def- by deflecting uh, to the WWF, he did more to change the complexion of U.S. wrestling than anyone else even came close to doing. Yeah, that's, that's a good storyline, but, uh, I mean, we do have the benefit of hindsight, Jeff, but not really. You know? Jeff, I mean, Jeff, Jeff Cohen, never has one man so affected the fortunes of both major U.S. organizations in one year as Ric Flair did in 1991. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. That's That's... That's been very generous to Flair. I'm, I'm a, of course, a huge Flair fan, but I, I mean, WCW was doing poorly when he left. WWF, from a creative standpoint, improves when he arrives, but box office-wise. Here's Mark Madden, Chad. Nobody had more impact on the business uh, than Ric Flair. His yeah, long-awaited I mean, move to the WF would be enough to pick him, but add in that he reju- rejuvenated the WF house show business, he got people talking about wrestling instead of steroids, and he dragged Hulk Hogan's steroid-soaked carcass to watchable matches, you've got an easy pick for Wrestler of the Year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, big shock. He's defending Flair. But, but yeah, uh, the vast majority of them went for Jumbo. Right. So. Well, I mean, Jumbo's a good pick. I mean, Ace of All Japan still... Great wrestler. I mean, uh, that's the that's your total package pick. I'd say number two. I wouldn't have a problem with Muda. I wouldn't have a problem with Chono. Wouldn't have a problem with Nakano. Uh, the, all those seem like worthy picks. Hogan should be before Flair. As Hogan had a pretty good in ring year. Uh, actually, one of his better in ring years for '91. Still was on top. Um, so. Yeah, I, th- I think they've been a bit. Uh... Harsh to old sexy Lexi there. Well, yeah, I mean, he, Lex, he, he, he was our wrestler of the year, wasn't he, Chad? Right, right. I mean, Lex did just as much as Flair from a WCW standpoint. It feels that feels very weighted in the fact that the steroid black cloud was hanging over the industry. You had a defection from Flair to a new territory that everybody had wanted to see for a while, and it did provide some interesting things. So that's weighing too heavily when the vote took place and then just for interest most outstanding wrestler went to Liger pretty overwhelmingly he got more than double the next one which was Hase then Kabashi then Flair then Musa wow Kabashi in 91 that that ahead wow which I, com- which I completely disagree with yeah because- I mean, even even 91 I'd have Jumbo Masawa Kawada ahead of him so well the answer for 91 is uh Jumbo, probably. That's yeah, I would say Jumbo um, would probably be my most outstanding wrestler in 91. Negro Casas, uh, 120. Negro Casas, I mean, I, I guess... He's way, way down there. Mr. Perfect well, did, I mean, how much did people have of him? I mean, Negro Casas has a great match with Santo in 91, but there wasn't... I don't think there's an abundance of footage from him from 91, so... So, I mean, I won't go through all of these. Uh, the best face was Hogan. Teal was Taker. Mm-hmm. Um, which I didn't I like was... the show of the year and match of the year. 
Yeah, and um, well, they split it over two, so I, I, I guess I'll get to some of the some of the rest of them later. But um, okay, this is the big news that we've been waiting for, Chad. Right, right. W World Championship Wrestling Executive Vice President Jim Hurd resigned on Wednesday from the TBS organization after losing what appears to have been a him or me goes struggle with the Booker Dusty Rhodes. Um, while it was being reported as a resignation, and technically it was. WCW overseer Jack Patrick apparently asked Heard to take a non-resting position in the TBS indication on Wednesday. Heard turned down the switch, offered his resignation, and by the week's end had moved from Atlanta, where he'd been residing during the week, to his full-time home in St. Louis. Um, So Heard um, took over as the man in charge three years ago, blah, blah, blah. Um, um, The three years could be best described as unsuccessful. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in most aspects of improving both the visibility and popularity of the nation's number two wrestling promotion. Heard will be replaced as executive by vice president by Kip Alan Frey, 38. Give a cheer for Kip Frey, everyone. Kip Frey. <laughs> um, I want, every time I want, every time I read the name Kip Frey, I want somebody to go, yay. <laughs> I like Kip Frey. He's a legendary figure in my mind. Um, a TBS attorney with even less wrestling background than Heard. Um, entered the job with. However, there is some optimism in the WCW camp with a belief that Fry is going to leave the actual wrestling end of the promotion in the hands of Dusty Rhodes and Jim Crockett and just concentrate on legal and financial aspects of the company. Fry is a graduate of Duke Law School um, who had worked in uh, private practice in both California and North Carolina. So he, if, uh, Kip Frey was a, was a lawyer. Do you know that? Uh, I, I, yeah, I mean... I... Yeah, before he taking a job as a TBS attorney in April of 1991. So if your company's tanking, give it to a lawyer. Is that what they... Is that, is that right, the quite, quite the uh, <laughs> meteor rise for Kip Frey. I mean, go from joining the company in April to running WCW... By January, kind of a yeah. That's, that's an interesting lineage how that happened. He worked with WCW in a number of legal situations. The most high profile being the attempt to regain control power of the NWA and thus regain the old NWA Championship belt from Ric Flair after he joined the WF. Can you imagine those legal negotiations? <laughs> that is so fucking. The, the judge presiding over those cases. <laughs> Um, wouldn't it have just been Sam Muchnick sitting there in a wig? No, um, I don't know. <laughs> it was it was heavily speculated at the end of the week, including by Heard himself, that the final straw that broke the camel's back was when WCW lost Ric Flair. Original reports from the company were that Heard resigned because he was frustrated with his inability to get the company competitive with Titan Sports. While there has already been criticism of appointing another chief officer who has no pro wrestling background. Some feel that Fry will handle the position better than Heard, who became well-known within the office for his sometimes volatile personality. I still picture him, Chad, eating that Japanese food. That's, that's my Im- that's my lasting image of him. Heard <laughs> eating the sushi. Eating the sushi. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping Kip knows enough to know that he doesn't know anything, one person associated closely with the key WCW personality said, brackets, basically jim ross for three years we've been watching this uh, thing fall apart um another wcw office employee said of fry he's a very intelligent person and not intimidating like herds can sometimes be the higher-ups were frustrated that the company uh, couldn't turn a profit 
So apparently, uh, TBS ordered a report on the wrestling company after three years of heavy losses, thought to be in the region of $19 million. After top-to-bottom interviews with the company management, the report came out that Heard was a minus and was cited as not getting along with people. Well, no fucking shit, Sherlock. <laughs> three three years in an investigation and $19 million later, they figure out that Heard isn't a people person. <laughs> oh, Christ. Wow. After the resignation, Heard reportedly went to a steering committee meeting and heavily blasted Rhodes, Jim Ross, and Magnum TA. According to several reports, he praised Jim Crockett and said that he felt sorry for him having to deal with the other three. According to those close with Heard, he said that he felt like a tremendous weight had been lifting off his shoulders and that his job as head of uh, WCW was the hardest job he'd ever had. Not in terms of workload, but in terms of pressure. Heard came down on Ross, Rhodes, and TA and blamed the Flair situation for ultimately doing him in. Heard apparently said that he felt Flair was the greatest wrestler that there had ever been, but his demands were too high and that losing him was the biggest mistake he made and the company went downhill from there. Um, so, Chad, will you miss Evil Jim Heard? Um, as, a, as a gimmick poster or as a figure of WCW? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think this was a long time coming, right? I mean, it, it, when when business is that bad for so long, you have so many things go against you, um, people against you that are your wrestling traditionalists. It's only a matter of time before the uh, upper executives and Turner decide, you know, that they're not going to keep defending you over all the uh, backlash that's mounting so they'll make a change it I, I, I think this would have probably happened a lot sooner nowadays if something like this would have happened where uh, someone came into power and was so I mean just across the board so terrible from what happened before Um I mean, really a failure in every way. I mean, I don't know what you'd put up as, like, the big successes of the Jim Hart regime. Uh, can you think of any? I, I, that's what I was struggling to think of. I mean, maybe adding the ramp for the pay-per-views, like, something as trivial as that. I don't know. It's it's very... Making Ron Simmons a main event. Right. I mean, I mean pushing Simmons... Um, but, but, yeah, just a bad run. Really bad run. Yes. Um, okay. Well, um, w- while there has been uh, uh, much talk within the company of regaining Flair over the past week, our reports indicate that Flair has an ironclad two-year contract with Titan through until September 93. Now, Fry... Uh, Fry scheduled a press conference to introduce himself to the wrestling media for the January uh, 22nd Clash show in Kansas City, the morning of the television taping, um, nearby in Topeka. Is that that right? Topeka. Yeah, Topeka. He's taking over an organization that has a degree of momentum built up from television and arena product that has made significant improvements since the steering committee has formed and Jim Crockett has assumed a more influential role. Crockett was responsible for bringing back Ricky Steamboat, Rick Rude and Paulie Dangerously to the organisation, all of whom being keen figures in the revitalisation. Now, Chad, did you know Crockett was kind of moving and shaking at this point? Because I didn't until this. 
Yeah, it's it's kind of weird how he's he's doing that, and as we'll see in this show, he's kind of hanging out in the background, yeah. and it's 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 very odd to see. Um, yeah, I, I think most people would think Crockett was completely out of it by this time, yeah. um, com- completely out of the game. No, although there has been a minor upswing, um, it's come nowhere near making the up for all the popularity lost uh, since Jim Crockett Promotions hit its national peak in 1967, uh, 87, um, or even since TBS purchased the company from the financially drained Crockett, Crockett in 88. So they're still way down on the mid-80s numbers, okay? Right. Um, Fry held an organizational meeting on Monday, uh, which was his first day at the helm of the company. And during that meeting, Fry placed David Crockett in charge of all television production of both syndicated cable, clash, and pay-per-view shows. So David Crockett now is basically the main producer on all of these shows. Rob Garner was placed in charge of syndication, and Dusty Rhodes remains the booker, while Jim Crockett will will handle scheduling booking arena dates and day-to-day wrestling operations. Sharon Sadello of Turner Home Entertainment will be put in charge of marketing WCW. So there we go. He's hmm. put in a new. That's quite interesting, isn't it? Um, yeah, that's quite a regime. Um, it seems like a, a a good establishment of the old school guard with the Crockett's and Dusty. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I mean, this time period as we go through, I, I I hope to flesh out my thoughts and opinions. But it's such a conflicting time. Like '92 WCW is so conflicting because. In ring is so good. Uh, business is pretty bad, and the overall wrestling landscape is on a, a downturn in the U.S. And it's it's very weird because, on the surface, like what what Fry does here seems smart. What he does in other aspects, as far as the bonuses for the best match, that seems like a very smart idea. Seemed like he made wise business decisions and kind of deferred the power because he, he's not, you know, an ultimate expert on running a wrestling business. I mean, that was one of Hurd's downfalls is, you know, the, the lineage is always that he was a pizza hut executive that now was trying to run a wrestling business and didn't know what to do. So there is he, another way of looking at it, though, Chad, right, especially in terms of who he's given jobs to here. I mean, one way of looking at, yeah, give it to the guys who, who know how to do this. Right. The, the other that, way of looking at it is that, like, give it to the pair of brothers who fucking ran their company right. on the ground. That's, that's with, the thing. <laughs> it's like, uh, like, on one side, it's like, well, good, he's going back to some wrestling traditionalist. On the other side, it's like, oh, God, I mean, Dusty's still the booker. He seemed burnt out on ideas in 1988. The Crockett's mm, had some successes, but all also had a lot of faults you know i mean jim crockett jr as a promoter never kind of reached the heights really as jim crockett senior so as we discussed in detail on uh god whatever show it was when we did our review of the uh, the good the good the good good old days so so anyway uh things are changing uh in the company um so yes i I thought it would be worth uh, discussing that in some detail chad and i'm glad that we have um but there is much more news because apparently jushin liger will definitely be at the pay-per-view coming up probably against brian pillman liger is expected to make frequent appearances in wcw this year does he chad yeah i mean he makes a couple i think he's at a clash when they do the tag tournament thing 
and then he's at Super Brawl. I mean, not not a ton, but he makes a few. It's yeah. not. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say he's like a semi regular character or anything. They are talking about also doing an NWA versus WCW Unification World Title match. This time without Jerry Lawler. They have. They haven't decided who the new WA, NWA champion will be. But the name Kenji Muta seems to have magically appeared on this page in this sentence. Is that Meltzer trying to be smart either? I, I can't. Um, no, I mean, I, I think that would have been interesting from a, I guess, from a smart fan standpoint if they did Muta versus, I, I, I would assume, Sting. Uh, they do do, I mean, they had obviously history with each other. Um but I don't know from a business standpoint how much interest that would have generated. I think Muda yeah. had a chance, but probably by 92, he was so far kind of out of the viewpoint of the casual viewer that I think it had been an uphill climb to get people to really invest in that feud. My my feeling is you run that match anywhere but Japan, you're going to get We Want Flat Chance. You think so? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Because you need... You can't have that match without Flair involved because he was the NWA champ. So right. A, a I, I think I think a better, or I, I do think a better um, way to have done that would have had an NWA champ be an old title holder, Flair. Or, I mean, who else was there though? That was kind of the old guard NWA. Just just somebody that really felt like an old school guy and then have the WCW guy be Sting or another up and comer and unify it that way. <laughs> Harley Race, one last <laughs> I, I, I was actually thinking of him, but I was like, no, he's way too. Um, I mean, even Steamboat. You could have Steamboat as the NWA guy and somebody else as WCW. I, I, I think that type of unification match could be a face versus face match. Okay, um, some some uh, injury news. Steve Austin blew his knee out, uh, expected to miss the clash, which he doesn't. Uh, Van Hammer is uh, going to be sent back to school, so to speak, after the clash, and brought back when he learns how to wrestle. You fill in the punchline, says Meltzer. <laughs> but, but seriously, it seems uh, to show the company is interested in providing a good product. So basically, he's being sent to the power plant. Is that up and running at this point? I don't think the power plant, as we know it, was up and running. But the, yeah, whatever the forerunner what, was. Yeah, whatever they were using or, for or development. They sending them down to Harley Race's school or Dory's right, school. Or right, whatever. right, um, um, Either that, or they have come to grips with the fact that Hammer and Oz were major flops. Well, it's not like anybody. It's not like nobody told them ahead of time. Says uh, says Meltzer. Sure. Uh, okay, uh, Scott Scott Norton is coming in, but I don't know exactly when. Um, Jason Hervey was the, uh, a star on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Ever watch that show, Chad, with Robin Leach? Uh, only passingly, kind of. <laughs> when I think of Robin Leach, I think of WrestleMania Four. I, I can't help but. Well, uh, Missy Missy Hire was on this show and was called a sports commentator out of Atlanta with no reference to wrestling, <laughs> except that they met at a wrestling match. Lifestyle of the Rich and Famous feels like such a contentious show that would just get, <laughs> like in nowadays, you know, like can you imagine if somebody did that where they basically esteem of how rich people are and how <laughs> nicer they live than you do? Uh, I mean, called that MTV Cribs? Well, yeah, I mean, you had Cribs in the late 90s, early 2000s that did the same thing, and 
at least, I, well, I guess these were famous people too. That, that just seems like a concept that now that wouldn't work. Where may, maybe now as the economy's upticked a little bit, but especially like three or four years ago when we were still in the recession, pretty hardcore. Like you did not want to hear about somebody else eating caviar by the pound or whatever. <laughs> Since Robin Leach has uh, done work with segments with Ted DiBiase and Randy Savage, I guess that means he can't mes- mention WCW, says Meltzer. A clip of Ron Simmons aired with a piece. Man, these are, these are jokes by Meltzer. They're hitting hard in the new yeah, year. Huh? He, he's, um, you know, he's in a particular mood tonight, isn't he? <laughs> uh, uh, Medusa signed a contract with uh, last Friday. And you know, ever since Rob Naylor said Mad USA, every time I see it, I say, think Mad USA. <laughs> Well, that was Charles. That was Charles's friend. Oh, was that Charles's yeah, friend? Yeah, was Charles's oh, friend. Thought I, it was. I thought it was. I, I just thought it, it was does sound like thing. a Naylor thing, but no, it was a, one of Charles's friends said it was Mad USA. <laughs> yeah, and I, I have the same effect. Um, yeah, every time I see it now, I can't unsee that. Uh, <laughs> apparently, they're thinking of turning Barry Windham heel in the spring to fill Lloyd. Yeah, they're, okay, there's somebody that you could have had as your NWA champion if you yeah, weren't Barry in Wind- Barry Windham, or another idea I had just on the fly is you could add Steamboat as your NWA champion, Vader as your WCW champion, and that puts Vader over as a huge heel when he unifies the belts and beats Steamboat. Yeah, that's and, that's your uh, Chad booking for the night. And Steamboat and Vader both known in Japan as well. Right, right. Um, it uh, so anyway, Malta thinks it's way too soon to turn Windham, um, and uh, it will wind up doing the same thing it did to Luger, um, being a de- making a Windham a dead fish. Um, Luger is leaving, and it's no big deal after all those years of being a major overheel and a face. He was turned one too many times, and the fans simply didn't care about him in his title reign, which was a waste, which has nothing to do with the ghost of Ric Flair. Agree with that? That people didn't care about Luger because he turned too much? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think people really wanted to see Luger turn heel when he did, but I, I definitely think the cloud of Flair hung over everything, um, so that made it probably worse than it was. Dusty Rhodes will be back on television and involved in angles and bull roped poorly dangerously at house shows uh, doing uh, tag uh, title matches. So Dusty's coming back apparently. I don't TV. recall that. So I don't think that happened. Yeah. I don't think either of those things happen because uh, Wyndham doesn't turn either. Right. Um, okay. Uh, so moving on, the January the twenty seventh. Uh, 90, uh, 92. I told you this is a bumper week for Meltzer, Chad. Um, just as well, I guess, because it's quite a thin card. <laughs> um, Ric Flair became the first man ever to win both the WF and the NWA World titles on Sunday at the Royal Rumble. I just thought I'd mention that because uh, I, I do, that didn't occur to me that he's the first one ever, but he is, isn't he? Yeah, that's something I guess you don't really think about, but yeah, it's still in this point in time. I mean, I don't even know how many people in history done that, period. Um, uh, I mean, I guess Bret Hart won WCW and WWF, but... It's, all, it's also, it just occurred to me, it's just not true, because Buddy Rogers was NWA champion. Oh, yeah, 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 Nature Boy when they did the... I mean, that's really when the WWF lineage starts. 
That's, I mean, he's the first WF champ, and he right. was the NWA champ. Sorry, Meltzer. Well, I wonder if Mel. Yeah, I mean, the NWA lineage, I think you'd have and to include Buddy Rogers' reign. Unless he's unless he's going by the caveat that that was the WWE. Right, I don't, I don't know, but yeah. yeah. Um, so, look at this. Rick Rude's contract with WCW, right? Uh, 300 grand for working 142 dates. Can you see the mistake they've made? Yeah, that seems like it could be a situation like we're just going through with. Uh, they've done it again. Sexy they, Lexi. They've done. They booked a guy for limited dates. It's so stupid. Um, anyway, I mean, I, I I can see why they thought they had to do that for somebody like Rude to recruit him or to get him to defect from WWF, but it does feel like you've made the same mistake twice, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's something that people talk about now with Brock, right? About, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's a whole other situation. Even with running less house shows now and uh, the house show business not meaning nothing. You know, and, you know, that much in the grand scheme of things as far as a television product. Uh, they still draw a lot of money and generate a lot of revenue for WWE currently. But as far as notoriety, but yeah, I mean, Brock, he can't even appear on hardly any Rawls, much less a house show, so he's like 15 dates a year. Now, um, as if there hasn't been enough massive news today, Chad, there's another bit of massive news, and that is that WCW um, made the surprise announcement, or, or they're about to at the Clash, that Jesse Ventura is going to be uh, appearing at Super Brawl, and he's going to be announcing the show with Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone. Um... Uh, now, uh, the Super Brawl is going to be in Milwaukee. Ventura's deal, according to WCW sources, is the most lucrative single event announcing deal in the history of pro wrestling. The deal also includes additional bonuses for Ventura based on the buy rate of the show. Also, if I'm correct, the bonuses don't kick in unless the show does a 2.0% buy rate, which is well out of the range of possibility. While hiring Ventura, who developed uh, and popularised the role of the heel announcer doing commentary, he does add credibility to an organisation that is seemingly on a small rebound. There is a downside as well. By signing Ventura to a deal of this magnitude, they've established his per-event price. If he does just Super Brawl, WCW has gained nothing by using him, other than he'll probably make a pay-per-view show, which probably would have been a great show to begin with. A little more entertaining, although three men in the booth is one too many. Um, um, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yes, so he goes on and on about this, but um, how much value do you think Ventura adds? Because, I mean, we can talk about how great he is as a right. as a colour man later, but they gave him stupid money, both, both for this show and the Super Bowl thing, and then on the contract he ends up getting. It's, it's huge. Um, do you think Ventura was worth it? In the yeah, that, that's one of those things where... I think if if you're watching a product, an announcer carries a big role of your enjoyment. Um, you know, it can be a big factor whether you enjoy a wrestling presentation or not, based on how good or bad the announcing is, along with like production values and stuff like that. But I still think at the core, necessarily, um, you know, the old adage that the marquee is still wrestling. And I, I, th I think as far as getting new viewers or 
really retaining most of the viewers you get. It's just based on what happens in ring and the angle surrounding it. Uh, the other ancillary stuff is nice to have, um, especially if it's good. But I wouldn't treat Ventura like he's a big you know wrestling star. And that's essentially what they paid him. I mean, they essentially paid him as a main event guy. And I don't think yeah. he generated that type of interest. Yeah, I, I think it's a weird. I think it's a weird one. I mean, they, they he was clearly like, a, like he started his political career at this point as well. Right, so right. He's probably like somebody you know, and he'd done Predator and whatnot. But so he's kind of like, kind of like wrestler commentator slash, also kind of celebrity in a way. But, um, yeah, I. I don't know. I mean, in history, there have been a couple of times where fans have lobbied for commentators. Like, famously, the Georgia fans were really unhappy when uh, Gordon Soley was removed. Right. And they lobbied to get him back. Um, and then Lance Russell, uh, who's, you know, long-time association yeah. with that show, can, like, he did affect... Uh, viewer numbers right even even um uh, like ross in 1999 when he had the first uh well he had the big bout with bell's palsy and michael cole was doing his first lead announcing stuff and they they try to bring ross back in this heel gimmick where he runs down the you know stuff and has a frat party with dr death and the fans kind of revolted against that to where the gim the gimmick is just dropped and he's back at WrestleMania calling the main event and then is the lead announcer from there on out. Yeah, but I, th- I think what they've, the problem they've got here is that they've mis- mis-evaluated what Jesse brings. Right. And, what he, what, and not only that, what he brought to that WF product. Sure. I mean, ideally, you'd be bringing Vince with him or something like that, right? Or well, or, you, or you try to get Gorilla and Heenan as a package or... Like that, that might like if you if they brought Gorilla and Heenan as a package, or Vince and Jesse as a package, that might have like that might have affected viewership in some way. I don't know what Jesse on like Jesse on his own. I don't know. Maybe I, it just it almost feels like those personalities just fit the WWF atmosphere. Yeah. I, mean, I mean Jesse, I think has some good moments in WCW as we'll discuss in the next couple of years, but. I mean, just him and WWF always, like, going after Hogan, always having that little underlying seed of resentment and jealousy of Hogan. Like, that was just a natural thing for him to have uh, that they could play off of. And same of him champion some of his guys, like, rude, perfect. Uh, it, It just seemed to click more in WWF. He loves Savage, didn't he? Right, Savage. Okay. Um, all right. Well, t- there'll be loads more Jesse on this show uh, over, the, over the next right. couple of years, yeah. I'm sure. Um, just quickly, uh, some more of these awards now. Uh, Chad, the feud of the year they gave to Jumbo versus Masawa and Co. Okay. Jum- Jumbo and Co. Next one down, I thought it was interesting. Flair and Hogan. Hmm. Then Ed- Eddie Gilbert versus Cactus Jack. Adja Kong versus Bull Nakano. And number five, Randy Savage versus Jake Roberts. With Warrior Undertaker as an honorable mention. Uh, interesting? Interesting. Don't have a problem with number one. Number two, I'd probably do Savage and uh, and yeah. Jake. That was a really cool feud. Some of the best storytelling I think WWF ever did. Yeah, I'd, I'd be inclined to go with that as well. Um, I don't know if it's worth... Like, it's probably not worth going through the tag teams. They gave it to 
Masawa and Kawada over the Steiners. Um, uh, I'd probably give it to the Steiners. Where'd the Enforcers go? Are they on there? Honorable mention. Mm, okay. Rocker's fifth. Hmm. That's interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, most unimproved, Davy Boy Smith. <laughs> that seems kind of unfair. I, I thought a bit of a, bit of a slide. Yeah, man. I mean, he was linked to the Warlord in '91. I thought they actually had some decent Power Man stuff. I, mm, mm, I don't know. Most improved was Dustin Rhodes. So, yeah, yeah, well, that's natural. I mean, he was yeah. nothing in '90. Very wet behind the ears, and in '91 he turned into a pretty good worker. Just made by that match with Ted, wasn't he? Right. The, you know, the 10 minute match? Yeah, at the uh, Survivor Series showdown or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, no, but I, I would see the start of Dustin Rhodes' career in earnest being that match and then his move to. Yeah, that, that feels like the first moment. I mean, before that, he was doing a Dusty Rhodes impersonation in Memphis. He had a lisp like Dusty, so not much going on there. Yeah. Um, God. Uh, okay. So th- um, th- February the third now, and this is the la- This is actually the one with the with the clash uh, review in it, Chad. You'll be pleased to know. Okay. Um, but um, just a bit of news from the end here. Um, it, one of the biggest reasons, maybe the biggest, for Jim Hur being dumped, uh, was that he was cited for too many communication breakdowns in the company, and because he wasn't a people person. That's come out again. Yeah. Um, Brad Armstrong is wrestling as himself instead of Arachnaman because of that nasty legal letter from Marvel Comics showed up. So uh, Marvel basically said, stop this. It's too close to Spider-Man. <laughs> so uh, that's why Brad Armstrong starts wrestling as himself. I mean, that, I don't know. What do you think about that? Like, I mean, obviously it's like Spider-Man, but. That, don't it feel like there's a lot of superheroes that are fairly close with each other? I don't, I don't know. I think Kip Fry is a lawyer, and if he's yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's worth really to the mattresses over. But that that feels like a little. Wasn't Marvel's business pretty shoddy in the early '90s? I'm not. I know they had a rough patch, and that, I mean, to me, it just feels like like nowadays. Maybe it's more rampant nowadays, but I mean, I know based off of. It, I mean, here's here's a real geeky example, but there's a board game part called Sentinels of the Multiverse that yeah. has a lot of you know superhero characters, and they essentially take your Marvel and DCs and add a little differences in the new face paint, and there they are. Um, so that's that, I don't know. That seems a little odd, but yeah, they're, whatever. they're probably erring on the side of caution, just not to right. Get involved, right. You know? No big loss there. Um, Barry Windham heel turn has been postponed indefinitely, which is smart there you because go. it's way too yep. soon. Bookings are done through to the end of March with no major t- changes. Expect three new names in the spring, two of which are supposedly WF stars, and will probably be announced this week. Who could they be, I wonder? I wonder if they were thinking Jake there. I'm not sure. I, I reckon that one of them they thought was Piper. Pipe Piper seems to be rumored, maybe Jake. That may be your two WWF guys. Chad, do you want your wrestling podcast to be informed by history, analytical insight, and obsessive watching of footage from any era and any promotion, and for them all to be available on one feed? Sure do, Parv. Chad, are you ready for shill? I am, because I know you're talking about the pro wrestling only place to be network podcast network. 
Chad, are you ready to shill? I am, because I know you're talking about the Pro Wrestling Only Place to Be Network Podcast Network. <laughs> Damn it. Fuck. I hate this name. Chad. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. <laughs> wrestling podcast to be informed by historical and analytical insight and by obsessive watching of footage from any era and any promotion and for them all to be available on one feed sure do parv chad are you ready to shill i am because i know you're talking about the pro wrestling only place to be nation podcast network let's go through that again pwo ptbn podcast network got it that's where you can listen to all sorts of different shows covering the history of pro wrestling in detail. Shows like Titans of Wrestling with my boys Pete, the man of a 10,000 discs, and Kelly, the jobber lover. I'm a jobber Pro lover. Wrestling Super Are Show you? with Stephen Graham. Join me, Stephen Graham. The smash hit wrestling game show Brain Buster with Johnny Sorrow. We have a host of pop contributors like wrestling historian Chris Zellner. Hello everyone, this is Chris Zellner here, starting a new podcast venture. And the pro wrestling only admins, the man who knows more about 90s wrestling than maybe anybody on earth, Charles, and good old Will from Texas. This is Will, and I'm joined today by my good buddy Charles. Whether it's the territories, WWF, NWA, Mid-South, Texas, Portland, tag team wrestling, Japanese wrestling, Aww, lucha, old me. school, new school, we got it. And of course, the feed still has the mothership itself, Where the big boys play. on which we continue our endless journey through WCW Supercards. PWO PTBN Podcast Network. It's pro wrestling only. You know you want to hear it. All right. Um, so Clash of the Champions then. This is uh, number 18 um, at the Kansas Expo Center in that town that we mentioned earlier. Yeah, Topeka. In, in Topeka. Our hosts are uh, Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone, who then quickly um, uh, hand over to Eric Bischoff and Missy Hyatt. Now, uh, I thought Missy Hyatt was looking pretty weird uh, here. Uh, uh, Chad, what did you make of her? Um, yeah, pretty dark attire, huh? Uh, kind of, I don't know, like not not the wild hair that we've seen, um, not the uh, colorful outfit. It was a different look. I, I I can't really recall much of Missy, honestly, from this point in time to when she joins up with the Nasty Boys. So I guess we'll see her evolution uh, with her look. But this seemed like it was kind of on that way. Where the uh, late 80s, early 90s Missy was no more. Yeah. And uh, I, um, yes, I thought she looked a bit masculine. Uh, uh, Eric Bischoff, though, sexy as ever. And uh, <laughs> speaking of sexy, Gary Michael Capetta is in the ring. <laughs> Boy, them, them them glasses on Capetta too were just um, that was as nineties as you can get. Okay, so um, the first match, and uh, this was um, oh yeah, one other thing: Lance Russell and Gordon Soley still on that hotline. Jesus, I mean. <laughs> It seems like forever now those guys are that, doing that. that. And there was some weird hotline shilling going on. At one point, Ross brings up a poll that you could call the hotline about. And, I mean, 
who I guess people did it, but wasting ten bucks just to pay for you know to vote in a poll seems completely ridiculous nowadays. So, um, yeah, the first match is uh, Vader versus uh, Vader and Mister Hughes versus the Steiners. And I thought this, I mean, my immediate note was, this seems like a huge match to be given away on free TV. Huge. George Scott would not stand for this, Chad. <laughs> what, what did you make of this? Yeah, this is a beefy opener. Um, I mean, I mean, I guess Hughes at this time was still your, you know, your bodyguard. And Vader wasn't, Vader was becoming the Vader we'd know, but he wasn't quite the Vader we know yet. Steiners were just coming back together as a full-fledged tag team. So this did seem like a match that probably would have been better suited maybe for a pay-per-view. And if they did 12 pay-per-views a year at this time, you could certainly see that. But as an opener, I thought this was a lot of fun. I mean, just you got four guys not unwilling to just absolutely cream each other. And we got that there starts off with some, some wrestling and Scott taking use down, but then we get a belly to belly tons of throws in this match. Um, I, I like the cool spot where the Steiners both scaled the top rope and hit the clothesline and the shoulder block to send Hughes and Vader regrouping with race. Uh, just, just a lot of, fun beefy action I don't, I don't know quite how long this match went probably about 10 minutes but it featured a lot of throws a lot of suplexes a lot of kind of power moves uh, the finish looks good with scott and vader uh piling to the outside and then rick gets the top rope bulldog on hughes for the win i went three stars with this i think it's a very great opener to get the crowd into it and the viewer into it at home uh, it felt like an exciting match, a really hard-hitting match. I mean, of course, not a ton of psychology here, but for four guys just kind of throwing each other around, Hughes and Vader weren't unwilling to bump and take all the suplexes from the Steiners. Uh, so I, I found this very enjoyable. Yeah, well, as you can imagine, I thought this was an awesome, awesome Yeah, I knew TV you would match. love this. <laughs> three, three and three quarters. Oh, for God's sakes. <laughs> I thought Mr. Hughes was really surprising and how much uh, of that Steiner's offense he was taking. Massive bombs all over the shop. Vader dishing out suplexes, taking suplexes. I mean, what more do you want? Massive clotheslines. Um, you know, for an open on a clash. Awesome. So, uh, anyway, Meltzer went three and a quarter. Um, yeah. You know, bulldog off the top rope. I mean, come on, this is right. I mean, there's something. I think there is something to be said that maybe Hughes and Vader take too many bumps in this match. Um, I, I mean, it does kind of downplay their size a bit that they're getting thrown around at points like a rag doll in this mm. match. I, I can see that criticism, but as far as an opener, I mean, I thought this was a blast. So. No, I mean, I, I just thought they was worked in a really kind of like... They, they, I liked the work, too. I, I just thought it was... Um, you know, I just thought... Well, if 92 is going to be like this, awesome. Yeah. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like... Yeah, I mean, it kickstarts the year well, where it feels like you've got the Steiners back as a full-fledged tag team ready to take over the division, uh, and then these two kind of beefy heels in their way that they were able to overcome smartly worked. 
So, uh, well, okay. Uh, next, uh, and you went th- uh, three and a three. I went, I went three on that. I, okay. I mean, again, I think it's fun, but I mean, it is short. It, it, this is one of those matches where grading it for me is tough because on a star rating standpoint, I, th- I do think it's a good match, but I also don't think it has a lot of deep psychology. I can understand the criticism, like I said, and it's short. So my star rating doesn't necessarily coincide with my enjoyment. Uh, but this is, to me, the type of match you can kind of pop in at any point in the day if you have like 10 spare minutes and really have a good time. You know, just, just throw it on if you got some minutes to spare. Well, uh, hot on the heels of that tag, we've got another tag. And uh, talk about holy thrown-together teams here. <laughs> we've got the tailor-made man, um, so d- uh, freshly turned. Uh, d- well, did, not did... freshly turned, just a different... No, no, freshly, newly gimmicked. Yeah, yeah, new new moniker after and the that... York Foundation's I, done. This will... The, the York Foundation's in some disarray on this show, as we'll... Yeah, we'll they're get to they're completely, pretty much disbanded by this point. <laughs> uh, but they are mentioned um, by Tony. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, Tony actually says that he thinks that Taylor is underrated. <laughs> yeah, I he thought... always seemed to have a pretty big... Uh... He always seemed to be a pretty big fan of Terry Taylor. Even in like the Taylor Eaton Howling Havoc '91 match, he was putting Taylor over big on commentary. Well, you know, t- Taylor was always a backstage guy, you know. So he, right, he, he, right. He, Taylor probably had started to put in his uh, clout a little bit by this point. So yeah, um, but of course, Dusty comes in, have this shitty gimmick because <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know he he hated. Uh, uh, Taylor famous. Yeah, thing, Taylor know. and Dusty had some heat. Taylor Made Man's not a great gimmick. Um, I mean, it's really not even a gimmick, though. I mean, what's the gimmick? Fake Ted DiBiase. Right. It's kind of what it feels like. Yeah. Ted DiBiase, the most ripped off of all. This <laughs> is a, so many of them. This is still young Pistol Tracy. But, yeah, and uh, um, randomly he's tagging with Tracy's mothers. Right, right. Where's Steve Armstrong? Uh, no idea whether he was. Well, this was originally supposed to be a six oh, oh, man. Hold on, Meltzer. Yeah, supposed to be a six man, but Steve Armstrong suffering. Because later on, yeah. when Pillman does his interview, Bischoff didn't even pay attention because in the interview segment, Bischoff tells Pillman, "You, you know, had a successful win in the six man match earlier. <laughs> like he still thinks they had a six man match. So I guess he's not watching the show backstage." Eric Bischoff, just a pretty face. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, I, I guess somebody got hurt. I don't know if it was. Uh, who knows? I think we got a better match as a result of it, though. So. Um, but they're taking you on. Flying Brian and Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Boy. Uh, yeah. And uh, I've got three words for you here, Chad. Kip Allen Fry. Yeah. Uh, this <laughs> Now, this match is. A match on paper that seems very thrown together, like you said. Not a lot going on. But this match goes, I think, about seven minutes. And you talk about people that were working for the best match bonus. These four... Yeah, well, really, we should, we should have explained that. What's the? Is the five grand for the best match of the night? I, right? I, I want to. I'm sure somebody will know the actual denomination. I can't remember if it was five that, but basically, if you had the best match on the show, Kip Fry instituted a bonus that you would get. Um, 
you know, I, now what, what the, I don't know if he had somebody doing star ratings in the back or exactly how they tabulated what the best match on the show was, but it's clear from watching this match that these four were given maximum effort. I mean, we've seen Taylor have some pretty mundane clash performances, even the stuff with the young pistols versus the free birds. I, I would say Tracy's working hard, but man, everybody is amped on this. Bagwell blows a few stuff. Uh, he blows some stuff. His his drop kick at the end looks a little awkward. Mm-hmm. But this match overall for a seven minute match, I, I love this type of match. I, I thought this was great. Where you had a little heat sequence. Both the baby faces looked like uh, very fiery and great. Uh, they beat on Pillman for a little bit. Some nasty little offense. Maybe the best, besides that Eaton match I referenced before, this may be the best Taylor looks in WCW. Uh, he has his gun wrench powerbomb. Um, I, I was wrench powerbomb. Right. Yeah. I was kind of surprised uh, Pillman and Bagwell at one point do stereo dives to the outside. That looks really good. And then the finish is nice where, um, where uh, Bagwell drop kicks Taylor who's hanging on to Tracy to prevent him from getting sunset flipped by Pillman. And that catapults Tracy to the outside and Pillman uh, sunset flips Tracy for the win. So I went three and a quarter for this again for a seven minute tag match. I can't uh, ask for much more than this. Very high energy and everybody was working their ass off. Yeah. uh, Great match. All action. Everybody, I mean, Chad said it all, really. I went three and a half, because I don't give three and a quarter as a rating. Um, Meltzer also went three and a half. Um, and I think that's a fair rating for the match. Yeah, uh, this, this is one to seek out. I mean, yeah. these first two matches, uh, for 20 minutes, I would say they're they're different enough that they're both very entertaining, and it really feels like a different era in WCW where a lot of guys feel energized and ready to kind of prove their worth and it's encouraging it's very encouraging what, what i'll say is that it's not the best one two shot for a clash ever but it is the it is the hottest opening to a clash ever that right. i've seen in terms of like oh energy mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it, it feels like a blast of fresh air is what it right feels. sure um everybody where they were with their working boots on um, I thought Bagwell looked good. I, I did see that quite a few people rag on Bagwell in this match and say the other three carry him through. Uh, what do you th- what do you make of Bagwell? It was slightly off on a few things. Uh, almost trips like climbing the ropes at one point. Uh, like I said, his drop kick at the end doesn't look amazing at the finish. But I mean, his stereo dive at the end. Um, is uh is good uh, the the stereo dives they do and actually I, I I just I'm rewatching this I forgot I thought Pillman wrote up Tracy but it's Bagwell Bagwell gets the pinfall in this match which is surprising that's a pretty big win for him yeah um I didn't even notice that I I just had to, it was Pillman in my head but it's actually Bagwell yeah I thought he looked fine I mean I, I did I mean did he look as good as the other three he'd probably be my number four in the match but. I didn't think he drug the match down or anything. Yeah, no, I, I uh, yeah, and I mean, this is one of those things I wanted to keep on coming back to is kind of how is Bagwell doing? Because I, right. I had this, I always had this idea that he was actually pretty good in this 
period, and he's looked pretty good to me so far. Yeah, yeah, he's not been. I mean, as a rookie, he's been solid. Um, well, better than DDP is. Uh, <laughs> that is sure. most certainly true. Uh, probably even. I mean, I'd say probably even better than Dustin Rose in nineteen ninety, from what we've seen. So. Yeah, and probably better than this next guy was in his first couple of matches. Yes. Johnny B. Bad. Um, and he's taking on Richard Morton, uh, who is basically at this point reduced to being a complete jobber. Yeah. Um, the York Foundation is sad, isn't it? At this point, I mean, I mean, they're, they're, they're like guys just hanging around in old gimmicks with no direction or anything. Yeah, I had some fond memories of the York Foundation, but it didn't hold up when we rewatched. It didn't seem as revolutionary or as they cohesive. Weren't together, they weren't together for five minutes, were they? Right. I mean, they were not very, uh, I mean, really, last half of 1991 is it. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, well, I mean, I have no, I have nothing. I'm not rating. Yeah, this, this is, there's nothing to this. I mean, Bad's in this weird gimmick where now he's a, he's a baby face. Um, he has the Bad Blaster here. So, so he's doing that mess, but this was a, a pretty quick match and kind of a wreck with what we got where bad was still extremely sloppy uh morton looks like he's just biding his time to get released and can start in smoky mountain there after the first two matches showed a lot of energy this showed nothing bad ends up getting the win fairly easily so I mean, they kind of built this up as a number one contenders match for the junior title, too. Like, it was either going to be these two guys or Pillman versus Liger. And I don't think what we saw here, how you could justify any of these two uh, facing Liger compared to what we've seen of Pillman. Um, well, anyway, after the match, Bad puts on uh, there's a there's a kind of promo bit. This was odd. With Pillman cuts a promo on Liger, um, and then Pillman's promo here is really strange because he tries right. to tap into like mid eighties anti Japanese corporate sentiment, right? Which, which came off to me as being dated as hell in nineteen ninety two. I mean, the, like it's not nineteen eighty five anymore. I guess yeah, thing. he's pissed that the car companies are being manufactured in Japan. I mean, like that's literally like a nineteen eighty four thing, you know. It's so like, yeah, it's it's a very odd promo. Um, and then like. Given that Liger is the opponent, he should have made wrestling the focus. I think. Right. Not politics, yeah. wrestling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then um, uh, Bad puts a pair of uh, like lips on Bischoff's cheek. Um, or on Pillman's too. And one on Pill- and then Pillman slaps Bad for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> Bad's yeah. like, what the fuck? <laughs> well, I don't know why Bad was here. Like, why was Bad in this interview? He He's just like hanging out. In this interview segment, and does the lips thing. Um, I mean, for all intents and purposes, Bad's just being a nuisance. And then he gets slapped by Pillman. Yeah, this did nobody any favors. I don't, I don't know if this was a feud they thought could happen. I, I was completely miffed is what they were going for here. Because Bad seems weird just to be there. I mean, I can understand if they did something where they're like, we're going to announce the number one contender, and they end up announcing Pillman, and then Bad gets a little pissed. But he's so happy-go-lucky and putting the lips on Pillman and everything else. It's like, this was a train wreck. I I didn't understand this at all, from the promo to Bad's interaction to anything. 
the slapping of bad is one of the most random things I've ever seen. <laughs> and he's literally like, what? I mean, Pillman did kind of act like his Hollywood blonde persona in this segment. Like his his voice on this promo was a little deeper and rugged. And I thought it was a terrible promo. <laughs> it was bad. It was not good. Anyway, now Chad, good, good, good God. <laughs> this is not good either. <laughs> it's uh, it's DDP, and he's got "Good God" written into his jacket at this point. <laughs> and he's that got it in ass. his en- he's got it in his entrance music too. Did you? Oh, hear yeah. That? As, as it rails up, he goes, good God, and then he comes out. Um, and good God is right, because his opponent is fucking P.N. News, who does a rap, and he's got no flow, no lyrics, he can't stay on the beat, he might as well, He, in fact, he might be the worst rapper of all time. Like, the, like this might be the worst rap ever performed. This anyway. is a bad rap. I meant to go back and write it down verbatim, but I think of all the PN News raps, this was the worst one we've seen uh it was a train wreck this match is nothing it's like two minutes news uh squashes ddp these two guys really feel like <sighs> it's incredible what ddp became man i mean because you watch him come out in this match in pn news and they really feel like these two are gonna be forgotten figures in wrestling history you know where you watch a show 10 years later and you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that DDP guy. So hats off to him, but this was uh, this was not good all around. This is wrestle crap right here. I thought his elbow drops looked right. DDPs? Yeah. I, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did think that uh, at one point uh, PN News does like a forward roll. Yeah. I've, I've just written here, pathetic. Yeah, yeah. He is fucking awful. He is an awful worker. And then Ross buries him on commentary. News is basically a one-dimensional athlete. Yeah, they were they were giving News the uh, shitty treatment here. News was not going for this five grand bonus, was he? No, this was a, a bad effort. Anyway, it's top ten time. Number ten, Larry Z. Number nine, El Giante. Still fucking. When was the last time we even saw him? Um... <laughs> Number eight, Vader. I've just written five S nation marks there. What's he doing so low in the rankings? Well, he's still he's still making his way up at WCW. Um, Dustin is seven. Cactus Jack is six. Five, Here was an odd one. No, no yeah. five is Rick Steiner with a lot of question marks. But then right. I remembered that is continuity with the fact that he faced Luger recently. Right, and Scott had his bicep torn, so Rick was on his own. But Scott, Scott's coming back, but right still I though. Gonna, I mean, I, I, it's kind of weird that Rick yeah, is above Vader Rick, in the rankings. Right, right. I expect Rick to be uh, off the rankings fairly quickly here. Yeah, I also thought it was weird that Larry uh, that Larry Zabisco was like the third ranked member of the uh, Dangerous Alliance because I would have put I would have thought Arn would be above him in the rankings you know? yeah so Arn and Bobby I guess with them being the tag team now for sure they kind of just moved them to the tag team but yeah they, they don't give us the tag ranks anymore right right we didn't get the tag rankings yeah. on this show because it'd, it'd be revealed that like Tracy Smothers and Dusty <laughs> yeah and I mean the Patriots would probably be number yeah. three or four right um, anyway now you'd want to talk about marking out chat I, I forgot to mention, this is the first time I've ever watched this show. I've never seen Clash 18 before. So when Tony Schiavone introduced Kip Alan Fry, 
and he was actually there in person, I marked out. I was like, holy <laughs> shit. He made. He, I didn't know he made a camera appearance. Yeah. And I've been reading about this guy for, like, what, 20 years now? <laughs> like, off and on? <laughs> He's like this mythical figure, and there he is. <laughs> Fry himself. And then, if he couldn't become any more legendary in my mind, he introduces <laughs> Jesse Ventura. <laughs> when uh, Jim Crockett was kind of lurking in the background. Right. You see that? Um, so, now, yeah. Fry looks like a lawyer. Does he not? He does. He looks like a lawyer. Right. You're right. Um, Now, Jesse comes out. uh, What was he wearing? Yeah, and I've written here, what what was he wearing? (laughs) (laughs) It's like a kind of gold bandana. Yeah, it's a gold bandana. Well, it has gold sequin Jesse written in. And then he's he's got his, like, motorcycle jacket with the tassels. It looks kind of like what Diana Smith wore at SummerSlam 92. Yeah. Uh, that kind of jacket going on, and then a boa, a colorful boa to set off the whole ensemble. So uh, I was really happy to see Jesse as well, of course, uh, one of the best guys ever. Um, Didn't and... it feel like they buried the other commentators, though? Because um... they said something to the fact of the only person that could give like the match at Super Brawl Justice is this man, Jesse Ventura. Yeah. I think I think they did kind of like, and Tony was standing. Right yeah, there, I mean right? Tony's standing right there, and he's the guy that's getting <laughs> shafted. It it felt a little sad for Tony. Yeah, it is a bit sly. Um, and um, of course, uh, yeah, Tony would feel that way many times in his WCW career. Yeah, coming up pretty quickly <laughs> with another executive power play when Bischoff <laughs> comes into power. So yeah. Yeah, but no, don't forget, um, he was shafted when Ross came in. Right, yeah, I mean, and people were surprised that Tony was kind of bitter at the end. I don't know. He's always been a good company man, and they basically right. dicked on him whenever they could. So, right. um, and uh, I mean, we should mention, uh, should we talk about it here, Chad? The, uh, the, the Matt D piece? Uh, um, well, I guess, yeah, This we could either talk about it here or the main event when Ventura actually calls, but this is... Uh, I mean, yeah, this is Ventura's debut and our Matt D companion piece for this show talks about Matt uh, Ventura coming into commentary. And I think Matt, he has a difference of opinion from what me and Parv have in some respect in that he really sees the Ross Ventura team as like a shot in the arm um, and brings a lot of energy now, I, I will I will say in Matt's defense though that he's not the only one who feels like because I thought that we would be kind of in the majority on that opinion, but if you if you go to the uh, on pro wrestling only the thread for this segment, um, there are quite a few people who voice similar things um, who say things like the commentary of being in a, in you know like died under Ross and Shivani. Yeah. I don't think, um, I think our friend Pete elf, he also is not too fond of the, uh, Shivani Ross pairing. So he's different from us there too. Mm. But, but I know, I mean, on the other side of the coin, I know Justin from place to be is going through all the WCW pay-per-views chronologically on the WWE network. And he's much more fond of the Tony Ventura pairing than Tony Ross. So, Me too. I mean, I'm sorry, then Ross Ventura. Yeah. So it, it, there's, there seems to be kind of a wide spectrum here 
Uh, but yeah, I mean, Matt makes his points and in Matt fashion, he doesn't go halfway with anything. He brings up some points to some stuff to think about, even though I, uh, disagree with his overall premise and also with this piece you'll have a a little parves points a bonus parves points uh in <laughs> no, written no, form, in written form to counteract uh matt no music this time <laughs> no music thankfully i might embed that into the article um yeah i mean what the one thing i wanted to say and the one thing i say there is that i have really think that 91 may be tony shawani's career year as a commentator as the color guy um yeah we'll get to it maybe 97 for me but we'll see i think he's he hit some highlights in 91 for sure yeah i really enjoyed the jim ross tony team yeah um, me i mean i would be sad to see them go but then again jesse you know, jesse is so. coming yeah i mean it feels like any way you turn with the uh commentators that they i mean it, this, this is such a weird time because 92 wwf commentary with gorilla and bobby I mean, we're two days removed from what many people call the greatest commentated match of all time, which is the 92 Royal Rumble. But, but, I mean, then look on the WCW side and just the wealth of talent they had at commentators around this point, too, where Russell still could be effective, uh, Ventura coming in, and Tony and and, uh, and Raw still... You know, being a good team together, in our opinion, so it's uh, kind of like a golden age of commentary in some ways. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let us know what you think of the uh, Jim Ross uh, Tony Schiavone team, and uh, what you think of the Ross Ventura team. Yeah, that's. I, I think overall commentary. Uh, that may be like a question of our week this week, or. Uh, Maybe a thread I'll create in PWO. I don't know if it's ever been completely fleshed out is how much everybody weighs commentary, like what you said earlier with giving Jesse all that money, because I'd be interested to see what people think with that, because I can see some people saying it doesn't matter that much, like somebody like Will. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see him taking the opinion that, you know, it, it, if it's really bad, it sucks, but to an overall business uh aspect it doesn't mean much uh but i could see some people weighing it very heavily somebody like uh, johnny sorrow you know i can see him being heavily weighted by the commentary or, or me i reckon i'm your 10 out of 10 there I'm, yeah yeah I'm, you're I'm, pretty I'm, high on the commentary too i'm um, the biggest commentary mark i reckon right <laughs> um who if you think you're a bigger one let me know but uh um yeah no it really does affect um I think what it affects for me, Chad, more than anything else, I'll just say it here, and we'll see this a lot uh, with uh, Ventura and Shivani when we eventually get there. It, it's great to have great commentary and it can enhance the great stuff. When you're watching shit, that's when the commentators start earning their money. Right. It's when you're watching the bad stuff. And that is why I put Jesse over so, you know, so big, because he, he can make all sorts of things just more watchable do you know what i mean yeah um so, and uh you know i'll give it out on titans of wrestling if um if uh what's his name um carl rudman, carl rudman yeah didn't exist those philly shows would be torture to get through absolute torture um and you know they're still torturous but <laughs> carl rudman makes it you know makes it a slightly less bitter pill to swallow so <laughs> um Sorry, sorry, Kelly. I, you know, I love it, really. Uh, 
So, um, yes. Uh, what, what else? Um, oh, yes. Lex, Lex Luger now cuts um, a canned promo. Right. Um, where he talks about the champion's prerogative of not appearing. He talks about how he's been in seclusion recently. He talks about friendship and business. Um, and I thought he was stilted. He stumbled. And almost acted like he had a gun to, to his head. <laughs> what the fuck was going on here? Yeah, this wasn't uh, one of Lex's best days. I don't know if it was the canned aspect or what. But, I mean, I thought Sting actually looked good coming out and being, you know, energetic and bringing a lot of energy, kind of interacting with Jesse. But uh, Luger's promo was pretty generic, right? Yeah, like something out of a Taken movie or something. Right, right. <laughs> All right, so our next match is Cactus Jack taking on Van Hammer in a, a Falls Count Anywhere match. Now, I have to say, Chad, that when Van Hammer came out here, I have never wanted Foley to kick someone's head in as much as I have here. Um, no, and this point, and this when they said Falls Count Anywhere, they really did, didn't they? Like, yeah, in, in an actual farm. Or <laughs> well, the rodeo, yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, yeah, Hammer comes out, he, he, uh, I guess, I don't know, he had a gimmick guitar where he sprays, uh, some flares or something from his guitar into Cactus Jack's eyes, and the first portion of the match is on the outside where Jack takes some bump, he tries a sunset flip from the middle rope or to the apron to the floor, which doesn't work out i mean jack lands really hard on the concrete and then cactus gets uh power slammed on the ramp he gets slung off of the the rampway onto the concrete so cactus is really taking some big bumps for this guy we go to commercial break we come back they're in the rodeo area um you have abby dressed as a cowboy uh using his shovel um they kind of roll around a little bit in the pit before Jack ends up getting the win. And then kind of an infamous moment happens where Abby goes and grabs Missy and dumps her in the cold water trough that was outside, uh, which was a shoot. She did not know it was going to happen. Dusty apparently thought it'd be funny uh, if Abby did that, so he obliged. And Cactus in the Jack- workplace? Do what now? Bullying in the workplace? Yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> So and then and then Abby and Cactus end up brawling with each other a little bit as the segment closes. So, I, I mean, if Van Hammer's career match, probably, but I still, I mean, I went two and a half as far as a star rating on this match. It's a fine brawl, but really mostly Cactus Jack taking some big bumps. I think you liked it more than I did, Chad. Star and a half for me. Oh boy, that's stingy. Uh, come on. Uh... I mean, there's some novelty with the with the rodeo stuff, but well, you know, I don't like stuff like this as a as you you know. Uh, Meltzer actually right. gave it three and a half stars. Yeah, I mean, this I think is a match that when it happened, everybody was just so surprised that it, for most people, it was watchable with Van Hammer involved that mm-hmm. it got rated over very overrated. I think now it's kind of being scaled back a bit. But I, I, I think we got the worst, most egregious parts of Cactus here. Like, you know, why is he doing a sunset flip off the top rope onto the concrete? Right. It's just like, come on. Did, did, you, think, did you think Did you think? you got the bonus, by the way? 
That, that should be a little game we played. You know? <laughs> who got the bonus? Who, yeah, who got the bonus? Um, <laughs> yeah, this this does seem pretty egregious. Where Cactus took three pretty nasty bumps, uh, and ooh, probably ooh. not all three My were God. necessary. We have we have the result from Meltzer. He gave he decided to give two thousand four hundred dollars to Cactus and two thousand four hundred to Hammer and two hundred dollars to Nick Patrick the ref. What match. the fuck? So, so Hammer gets the bonus. Well, Hammer did not deserve Hammer, the bonus. Cactus and Patrick all split the bonus. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'd have went with the tag match. That seems like a shaft to me. I'd but... have to Taylor. Yeah, well, yeah, Taylor or some others too, yeah. yeah. So uh, there we go. Well, I mean, yeah. in fairness to Foley, he did, like, do that spot that I did. But I'm just like, what, you know... I don't know. I just think it sets a bad precedent. It uh, seemed a little excessive. I can see that for this feud that wasn't exactly a blood feud. You know, for, for nothing, like, I don't know. I just didn't. Um, and also, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of weird looking at this. Like, I guess in, two, in uh, 1992, it, if you'd never seen any Memphis or Mid-South or anything, it could have been could have been something to see this yeah a little out of control but yeah it was you know it was what it was anyway one and a half for me um (laughs) so now chad uh oh boy here we go this is who should have got the bonus um it's uh our favorites (laughs) uh jimmy jam jimmy jam himself yeah 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 (laughs) um now what the fuck um (laughs) Can you to explain this shit? Well, this is the rebranding of the Freebirds. So, I mean, the Freebirds in the 80s had some great music videos. Uh, Bad Street USA, the one in the limo that is discussed on the latest Freebirds pod. Um, so, so as far as the concept that had worked for them before, this isn't a bad idea. The execution of this is some of the most hilariously bad things you will ever see in wrestling. I I don't know if the Oz debut is worse than this, honestly. Because what you have, you think Oz was worse? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. This is bad. Because you get some clips of them in the studio, but then they're supposed to be singing live their song as they come down the entranceway. They're clearly not. Jimmy Jam, my God, man. This guy is just mouthing nothing. I don't know what he was doing. Hayes Hayes looks bad, but Jimmy Jam just mouthing absolutely no words that matches the song was a pathetic thing as he's working on their gloves. They're in this weird new attire that's kind of black and silver. Um, they intersperse clips of them in the studio hugging each other and dancing and singing, uh, compared to when they go to the ring. Hayes has this cane that's got glitter cane. Yeah, it's like a glitter cane. They end up going into the crowd and then shimmying down the steps as they sing, this is my friend shite, straight shite. I, I, I have, (laughs) it's so bad. I waited in such great anticipation for you to watch this. Um, and it didn't disappoint when you sent the Facebook message as you watched it. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's so bad. It's um, yeah, it's really um. <laughs> or, or, like the kicker is, is that they're mouthing so terribly, but on the actual record, neither of them can sing a note as well. So it's like really, really bad singing, and then they're like bad dubbing on top of it. And then, and they show they also show the angle when they're coming back from the crowd of the upper deck. And you can see on the uh, hard camera side that there is nobody in the upper deck, which kind of makes this thing look a little more pathetic than in this mid-range building. They really told everybody to go to the the side that the camera would be showing, so it looked like a full audience. It's got really Um, weird editing as well. Oh, yeah. like, add to the fuckery. And somehow they found fans who were singing along as well. Like... (laughs) I bet that you know the girl in the glasses. I bet she. Uh, I bet she's embarrassed about that now. Yeah, how would she even know this? Wasn't this a debut? I. I, I mean, as if we've got any female listeners, Chad. But uh, if you're listening, uh, you know, sort your life out, love. Did they take their little bow at the end, which is like the topper, where they they kneel on one leg and raise their arms, like they just did this classic. Yeah. Now, now, I was really confused by this. Are they meant to be faces or heels? I, I don't think they know. I really don't. They just I, don't I, care. Yeah, point. they don't care. They don't because care. Because they're facing Big Josh, who's a yeah, face. they're facing faces, but... And Brad Armstrong. And it, yeah. I did like the uh, little in-joke by the bookers there, putting Brad Armstrong against the Freebirds. Because that, yeah. that was Bad Street, though, a little... Yeah, that's a little clever. Little inside, Do you think they really thought of that, or... little inside joke by Dusty there? Yeah, I think they just had a warm body. I mean, as far as a match, this is nothing. The birds win. Um, I thought Josh actually looked okay. He does his log roll. I, I actually think uh, Dusty booked this show by doing Lethal Lottery. <laughs> just put all the names in a big hat. Uh, big I, Josh. Uh, <laughs> um, I, 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 I've got the show on my uh, TV right now, and I cannot stop watching this free bird performance. I've watched it three times <laughs> as we talked about it. This, I, I'm telling you, this is, I really think this is the worst thing of wrestling yeah. in the 90s. I mean, Oz was bad, but... No, Chad, you're, just... forget, you're forgetting. You're forgetting the voice. and the, what, Welcome what to you, Oz, you're yeah. You're, you're forgetting how bad that, and you're also Maybe. forgetting the head. The head in the... <laughs> The black scorpion angle with the yeah, but this, I mean, this, I mean, at one point, like eight years before, the Freebirds were like the coolest faction in wrestling. Like Michael Hayes was a complete rock. I mean, he was a rock star. He was so cool. And just seeing this, it's like your, I don't know, it's like your dad at karaoke night at fifty-five years old getting hammered and thinking he still can sing. Or I don't. There's just something so sad, but yet hilarious about all this. It is, it is a train wreck all around. Mm. Uh, well, uh, yeah, that, that would be an interesting. This is the worst, uh, like most wrestle crap thing that we've seen. This is this is a like top three. I'll I'll, I'll grant it. Yeah, I'd I'd say Oz's debut, Scorpion's magic trick, and this has got to be your top three. Yeah, no, I I, uh, I agree. This I mean, this was. I mean, yeah. I I think this is worse than the Ding Dongs. It was. Um. Now, when this match starts, um, something may really made me laugh, and I was already kind of in a funny mood. 
Um, it was Shivani on commentary <laughs> claiming that Brad Armstrong has the greatest dropkick in WCW. And that made me laugh because it was Shivani being an outrageous shill. Not the first time <laughs> we'll see him do that, but <laughs> I just thought that was really funny. Because he's he's got he's been a little kind of like, you know, he talked about Taylor being underrated. Right, telling right. us about Armstrong having the greatest dropkick and... Um, I didn't think, you know, the, the match was nothing. Uh, this is all about the introduction. Yeah, this is, you remember all about the entrance and nothing of the match. So yeah, Who, like, the Freebirds won, right? Yeah, the Freebirds won. Pinning Armstrong, I don't. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Armstrong was nothing. I guess they still had some minor plans for Josh, so. Um, and now we got uh, a video package on the Steiners. Um and this was on the network, and I was like, have they made this retrospectively and put it back in? Like, I was like... I don't know. Yeah, because I watched this on the network, but yeah, this I watched was it on the, good. I watched it on the network, and they were like, the Row Warriors. I was like, okay, they're a WF act. SST, well, the Head Shrinkers are yeah. coming into WF soon. Right. Nasty Boys, they're in WF. Yeah. And then a pile of Japanese guys, and I'm like, ah, that's interesting. Yeah, this was basically... WCW saying the Steiners have beat everybody that's facing for the uh, WWF tag belts currently. So and then we got a little recap of the Rick Steiner Luger. I thought this was a really good video package. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought this put over the Steiners well. Um, made them seem like threats going into their upcoming tag match at Super Bowl. Whoever um, whoever edited that should have edited the, the Freebirds thing. Yeah, the Freebirds video was way... T- it seemed like the guy fresh out of editing school gets his first gig and goes crazy on the uh, special effects. So. However, I know how much you love Rick Steiner promos, Chad. Uh, like, he seemed... He cut promo after this. And um, it seemed to me that he was even more half-witted than usual here. <laughs> Like, he, like he'd actually lost some brain cells. I don't know. This, this this felt part of the course to me. I, I wasn't gravely offended by this. Um, I, I didn't even take any egregious notes on it. I thought so. I guess I thought it was fine. I don't. I mean, seemed like his usual promo. Scott Steiner also tell us tells us that he's got bad intentions. Yeah, now Scott is a little. He's so aggressive. Like when he does his promos, it's a little much. Scott's a le- Scott Steiner promos are hilarious uh, yeah. to me. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Vinny Vegas now making a debut. Um, this is yet another gimmick for Kevin Nash. Um, and again, who's the face here? Vinny Vegas? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who was the face, who was the heel. I think both were heels. The York Foundation in total ruins here as Thomas Rich comes out. And for ages, like, who? Is that Barry Wind? Who is that? <laughs> and it's like, oh, Thomas Rich, who's now given up on life. Um, right. Yeah, this was like weird, this uh, match. Um, Tony, again, with his smarky comments. He's got a lot of charisma, doesn't he? <laughs> it was almost like he was giving like little shoot comments all the way through the... All the way through the... Uh, yeah, he gave some digs. Um... And then um, they talked about Snake Guys, uh, the favorite maneuver of Vinny Vegas. This was another squash. I mean, Thomas Rich uh, in Jobberland here. Yeah, Tom, Thomas is done here as far as any relevance. A lot of puns with Vegas and the, the whole gimmick of him being, a, I guess, a Vegas uh, loafer or high roller or whatever. And he wins with the snake eyes move, which 
looked okay from the first angle, but then they do the replay and you see that like Thomas's cheek barely grazed the top turnbuckle and then he acted like he got killed from it. And Nash would keep this Vegas gimmick all the way until Shawn Michaels, right? Uh, yeah, he pretty much he pretty much rode this gimmick until he left WCW, but I mean we're not too far removed from that, so it's not like he has this gimmick for you know years. It's I think a few months and he's gone. I wish they get rid of him already. I'm not a big Kevin Nash guy to be honest. Well, yeah, I mean he he's been saddled with. I don't see how anybody thought this would be a great gimmick. So yeah, I think they could have made more with it come out with a pack of cards you know make it more gimmicky you know <laughs> oh, <Lord. laughs> you know it was pretty bad as it was with the whole puns and the high roller snake eyes all the that of spades the yeah cards, you know? I, 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 no thank you <laughs> um you could come out with poker face that song <laughs> you know uh anyway um poor d cuts a promo now who has more or less ident- the identical same promo style back then as he does now um, he made quite one. St- he talked about the Magnum TA wrestling retirement home. Now, was that actually a retirement home, or was that just a dig at Magnum TA? I think that was a dig at Magnum TA. I th- I th- I think that you saw Bischoff like recoil a bit. It was like, ooh, can we say that? That seemed a bit low. Yeah, well, Heyman didn't have problem pulling punches at people around this point. I mean, yeah, I th- I think. Him and Flair had some go around, so. I think that's a bit much, personally. What do you think? Um, eh, eh, I don't, I don't think Magnum would be offended by that, so I don't have a problem with it. I thought it was pretty good. I like when he'll say they've made promises that they've kept, and they, uh, they can stick to that. I think that's a very great heel vehicle to use. Um, I think about Vince in 98, every time he made a guarantee, it came true. And I, I think if you use that right and only do it when it's actually going to come true, it means a lot. The one time it doesn't. Um, yeah. So you can build that up. So I like that. That's true. and I mean, well, we'll get on to this now because it's uh, Arn Anderson, Bobby uh, Eaton, when I've just written here, tag team squared. Right. <laughs> With Arn and Bobby and Larry Zabisco. Yeah, yeah. Taking on Dustin Rhodes, Ron Simmons, and Barry Windham. And I've just written here on my notes, Chad, the Dangerous Lions are just so fucking cool. How awesome were they? Come on. They, I mean, that is a faction. They really have it all. I mean, you have your veterans, you have your ace and rude, you have your up-and-comer with Austin, you got your prick with Zabisco, you know, cocky mouthpiece, you got your... It's, it's just a well-oiled heel team that really feels balanced and works together. Paulie with the phone. It's all Paul, the Paulie has yeah. everything, and it feels like a total package. It does. Yeah. Now, as as a match here, though, I mean, I thought this was good, but and one thing that I will say is a critique of the Dangerous Alliance, and this is probably more of a benefactor of WCW TV at the time, mm-hmm. but. Um, if you watch a lot of this, which I haven't went through 92 as a year, but I've seen all the Dangerous Lion stuff before, mm-hmm. and everything is pretty standalone, which is disappointing. What By that, I mean, like, they on Worldwide would have a tag match and something would happen. And then WCW Saturday night, that same night, they would have another tag match, and there would be no f- carryover. 
I mean, right. you, you know, like if the if if they worked over Rude's leg in the worldwide match. I mean, Saturday night he'd come out fresh as a daisy, and you'd have no mention of what happened. Um, so, so while all the matches are good, it's kind of easy to forget a lot of them and just say, "Oh, that was another good match in the series," except for the real highlight matches. Um, and that kind of happened here. I mean, I thought this six-man was good. I thought uh, Wyndham looked very motivated. They got a big shine sequence on that. Um, this this seemed to be more of a Wyndham storyline to me than anything else, where he, on the face side, was very dominant and ended up winning the pinfall by punching Eaton as he was coming off the rope with his taped fist uh, that Jesse will go nuts over coming up. Uh, so I went three stars for this. It was a good kind of nine, ten minute six man. But again, it didn't feel like a ton of consequence. I thought we got some of that afterwards with Wyndham's promo and could have had a bunch of that that developed into a nice storyline. But I don't even remember if they followed up on it. So that was disappointing a little bit. That's an interesting point about everything being in a vacuum. Uh, right. It hadn't occurred to me, but I'll look out for that now that you've mentioned it. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if it would. I don't think it'll resonate as big on the super shows, mm. um, just because I mean, like Super Brawl has some highlights, and then I mean, sadly, for for our all intents and purposes, we got Super Brawl and then Wrestle War, and that's it. Yeah. So we really only have two more shows after this of the Dangerous Alliance angle as we know it. But watching the TV week to week, you get that sense. Well, I went three and a half. I thought this was a lot of fun. Lots of fun. Um, this, You know, for a six-man. Um, I thought the near-fall sequence with Arn and Dustin was really good. Uh, really organic and natural. You know, when he hits the spine buster, Dustin kicks out, and then he, like, goes for another near-fall and another near-fall. You, yeah. you, you don't see guys do that enough. Uh, you know, one of my big bugbears with current main event style is the false finish fest that they do. If you've just put out a guy enough so that you get two and a three-quarter count, you can go back to the pin and try to go for it again after you punch them down again. Do you know what I mean? And I, I just thought that little um, near-four sequence was really good with Arn and Dustin. Um, yeah, and uh, I thought it was uh, fun. Uh, probably not given long enough to go more than three and a half. Meltzer went wild for it. Four stars from him. Yeah, that's crazy. They packed a lot into this show. So these last two matches are given some time, but feel still a little bit rushed at times. I, I think um, if this went 17 minutes, it could have been a classic. Right. Yeah, this could have been really good. Uh, the Dustin Orange sequence you mentioned is interesting because they had a match on one four ninety two. That's probably one of Arn's better singles matches of all time. That'll make our 92 TV oh, supplement. Fuck. Yeah, and this is... We haven't had a show since then, have we, Chad? I need to oh, mention yeah, that. We need to... Uh... Clear up, but uh, yeah. Arn Anderson had a match with Barry Windham in 1991, <laughs> and then he had another match with him in 1992. And um, the one I raved about on our show was the 92 match. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. What are the... Funniest where the big boys play moments in history. <laughs> I've never, I was at work when that happened, and uh, you know, I mean, we interact during the day, but like right after that was realized, I got like eight Facebook messages one from Matt, one from you, and one from Brad. It was quite a scene. It, well, you know, I reckon if I'd have kept quiet, nobody would have noticed, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's possible, but there. I, as I went and listened back to it, I did have some. We, we were not on the same page. It, it felt like we were talking about two different matches, but yet the, I mean the the work seems a little. It seems like they used kind of the similar storyline to where it's yeah. possible that. I mean, because we watched like 14 matches in a row. When, when, I, when I said two out of three fours and you said it wasn't, I was just like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I just didn't, I did. I just saw mm, best. Mm. Right, but the 91 match does have that where it has a restart. So I could have seen like when you said that, I was like, no. But then I was like, well, maybe he just thought like they yeah. had the restart and it was a quick <laughs> second fall or something. But yeah, so uh, yeah, we'll watch the uh, match that you get four and three quarters in the '92 special. Yeah, and it's um, it's not the first time I've done that, <laughs> as uh, as I'm sure Pete will be delighted to tell you. So. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um. Anyway. Um. So yeah, uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. Not, for, not four stars, three and a half. I think is a fair. Yeah, it's a good match. Sure. Um. And then final match of the evening is Sting and Ricky Steamboat taking on Rick Rude and Steve Austin, so like the other two members of the Dangerous Alliance now, um, and I guess like the, the the two highest members of the Dangerous Alliance would you say? Um, eh, it's tough to say uh, Rude's certainly number according, one according to the rankings at least yeah, I mean this is the top four of your WCW top ten in this match yeah, which um, Jesse points out because Jesse right. comes out for commentary. Um, oh, I should mention uh, very quickly that uh, uh, Wyndham does cut a promo. Which right. I thought it was a pretty good promo because I don't think of uh, Wyndham <laughs> as a promo guy that much. And uh, I like the continuity of going back to Larry Zabisco for the for the hand in the car door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, this was a good fired up Wyndham promo. And uh, Ventura gives a gives a promo as well. And make no mistake, he's still a heel, and he still loves Rick Rude, which I thought was another bit of uh, great continuity. Um, that you know he comes in and his boy Rude is there, and he he can root for him straight away. So that was good. Um, Rude cuts his standard promo uh, before the match. He's kind of you know to cut the music, and uh, I just written here, look at those abs. <laughs> wow, look at that. Um, and uh, I've got a new uh, feature for where the big boys play. Oh, God. Jess, Jesse, watch. <laughs> um, basically, I'm just going to, every time Jesse says something good, I'm going to write it down. <laughs> oh, boy. So he says, if I was 20 years older, these guys uh, could be my sons. They remind me of me. I thought that was a good thing. Like, he's talking <laughs> about uh, Rude and Austin. I thought that was uh, um Kind of good, like good from his from a character point of view, but also quite funny when you consider what a shitty wrestler. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, give me a break. Kind of flattering himself there. Yeah, and then um, later, um, Ross mentions that um, Austin's dad went to Rice University and um, uh, played in the Cotton Bowl. And Ventura says, "Well, that must have been a long time ago because I can't remember when Rice was in the bowl." <laughs> I thought that was just, just a strange little interaction. And I, I'm waiting for the moment that Ventura starts like ragging on Ross for his yeah digging drops. in right. <laughs> it's coming um, because uh, you know Ventura won't let things go as we're about to find yeah, out. Yeah, right. Well, what did you make of this one? 
Um, ten minutes. This this is <clears throat> excuse me. This is actually my match of the night. Um, I like this match a lot. I, th- I thought it started out hot with Steamboat and Austin uh, firing back and forth. And then you get Rude coming in, and uh, Rude and Sting have a good sequence with each other. Uh, Rude ends up doing, I mean, everybody knows Rude can sell an atomic drop. Uh, the selling by Rude of this atomic drop may be the best I've ever seen him, where he gets on his tippy toes. And does a complete kind of like it looks like a duck squatting an egg. I, I've never, I, 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 the words can't describe how what, easy. What happens is that he sells the atomic drop, and then there's an inverted atomic drop, right? And he sells that as well, right? It is the most incredible thing you'll ever like, see. Like Sting gives him an atomic drop, he sticks his ass out, and and. Uh, hugs it then sting gives him the inter- inverted and yeah he like does a circle on his tippy toes kind of in a squatting motion with his arms outstretched it, it needs to be seen to be hauled but but anyway so the match does settle down um and rude and steamboat end up i mean this was a pretty heavy sign shine sequence i'd say that yeah. But they do end up taking over on Sting for a bit. I'd have liked to have seen that a little longer. I think that's where time gets in the way, where Sting has not worked over very long at all before he makes the hot tag to Steamboat. Uh, but then we get a, a really cool finishing sequence where Steamboat does like a victory roll on Austin that looks good. Uh, they end up kind of taking over on Steamboat for a bit till we go to the hot finish where all four guys are in. Uh, Sting and Rude end up out in the apron area uh, for a bit, and then the finish comes where uh, Sting ends up giving a, a cross body. Like, uh, I guess Austin has Steamboat up for a power slam or something, and Sting comes off the top with a cross body, and Sting and Steamboat's weight are both on Austin for the pinfall. Which, of course, Jesse goes nuts over and says that's illegal. And then we get a really hot angle after the match where Steamboat gets whipped and two Rude Awakenings to advance that feud with Rude leading into Super Brawl and to allow Paul Lee to make good of his promise. So I went three and a half here. Could have used a little more time, but a really fun, solid match to me. Um. Yeah, I thought the best part of the match was uh, Ventura moaning about the illegal tag and just then not relentlessly <laughs> just not letting it go for about you know the entirety of the match. Right, right. Um, and then like moaning about the illegal pin, and then even in the like the post-show wrap-up, still moaning about it. Like he really wouldn't let that go. I thought that was quite funny. Um, I thought Sting was really kind of sloppy and indecisive during this match. Uh, you know. Um, and he really brought it down for me uh, a fair bit um, with his like moments where he looked like he didn't know what he was going to do next and um, his execution wasn't there and um, yeah considering so much of the match was shine uh, you know the bits when Stinger on top were poor I thought so I, I've given it three stars um, good match the bit with rude selling of the uh, atomic drops amazing the best atomic drop ever um, <laughs> the inverted one but um in and uh, in the post match 
uh, we got a really good, uh, you know, st- uh, steamboat selling of the Rude Awakening in the post-match. Yeah, yeah, he that gives was him really two. Good. I mean, he acts like he's been kind of had his, literally had his spine snapped or something. Um, and then, uh, like, the whipping, really brutal, I thought. Um, so the post-match was really good. Um, but yes, I really didn't like Sting in the in the in the main event there. Um, so three stars for me. All in all, Chad, a really hot card, I thought. Yeah, I, I mean, I, there's nothing, some crowd, but nothing it's blow short. away, but everything fun and watchable, I thought. Right, right. I mean, the stuff that's bad is short, and we each had four matches that we ranked at three stars or above. So for a two-hour show, I don't think you can ask for much more than that. I also think the stuff that was bad was like entertainingly bad as well, like the two birds <laughs> thing and the like. Pierre News is, I suppose, uh, right. rap thing, and you know they they kept it short and inoffensive as well. So at least uh, they didn't stink up the card too much. Sure. Um, so let's do our awards. My match of the night. Well, your match of the night was the main event. Yes. Care to guess at mine? Um, I'm gonna guess the opener. Yeah. Steiners yeah. versus Vader and Hughes. Um, three and a quarters for me. That was the easy match of the night, I thought. Um, and I still question the wisdom of giving it away free on TV. Um, <laughs> the MVP. Now, who have you gone for? Um, this, uh, this I thought was pretty tough, but I, I did go with Tracy Smothers. Um, just because I thought he brought a lot to that tag match. Had a really good performance, and he's someone that I've been given a closer eye to uh, through the Greatest Wrestling Ever project. Someone that I've really enjoyed, kind of his babyface stuff in Smoky Mountain uh, from the wrestling, uh, regardless of how you feel about him trying to defend the honor of the Confederate flag. Um, that's another debate for another time, but here I thought he gave a pretty good, like a uh, really good heel kind of sneaky performance. Mixed in some nice high spots and moves, but did it in a dickish hillish way. So he gets my MVP here. Uh, my MVP is Jesse. Oh, for God's sakes. You can't. We, we might have to restrict that you cannot pick the commentator. Why not? He was the MVP. I don't think he was the MVP, of this, the MVP show. of this show. I don't think so. <laughs> I've picked uh, commentators before. I picked yeah. Tim Cornette once. I just picked David Crockett once. I seem to recall. <laughs> but my MVP here is Jesse, and uh, we may have to make a Jesse rule though, because he may be the MVP on every single card. There's no way. <laughs> From now until he leaves. <laughs> um, Billy Graham Award winner. This is interesting. Yeah, Billy Graham for me is Jimmy Jam Garvin. <laughs> what for his lip syncing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bad lip syncing. Uh, my Billy Graham Award winner is Sting for really stinking up that main event. I thought he was bad. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel like I'm more down on Sting than virtually everybody else in the world. But, uh, you know, I just didn't think he was very good. Hmm. Yeah, I, I thought he was perfectly fine in the main event. Um, just me then. You, well, I mean, he was, he was a little out of control, but I didn't notice anything egregious i guess i thought austin looked good here um sometimes sometimes he looks a little inexperienced and sloppy i'm wondering when he transitions to his like stunning steve look because he still really looks like the texas yeah that's coming up pretty soon the world-class austin you know right um 
So yeah, or the USWA Austin, I should say. <laughs> All right. Where do we go next time? Next is Super Brawl Two, really uh, a show I think a lot of people are looking forward to. Kind of oh, one of those iconic me, me, WCW me shows. Yeah. I have this theory that Super Brawl was like in the early nineties was like the card. You know, Super Brawl is always a good show, in my mind. Has there ever been a bad Super Brawl? Oh yeah, <laughs> we'll get to those. But in the late in the late nineties, yeah. probably. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, Super Brawl One was not a great show. Well, actually, it was a, actually, you're right. Uh, the Turner yeah. edit helps. Uh, well, right. I'd be interested to see if Super Brawl Two. Uh, Super Brawl Four in '94, I don't think has a ton on it. Super Brawl Five in '95 doesn't have anything. Is, is that on Hogan it. Flair? That's that's uh, Super Brawl Five is Hogan Vader. So. Right. Okay. Yeah, there's some. There's there. Trust me, there's going to be some pretty poor Super Brawls, but this will not be one of them. I will predict, uh, unless something drastically happens, this might be one of the better shows we do overall. To be honest, so I'm looking forward to it a lot. Oh, long live Kip Allen Frey! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's going to be gone in a couple of weeks. But... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a couple more so, shows, and he's out of there. We're going to try to be as regular as we can, Chad. Right? Twice a month. <laughs> Yeah, we're trying twice a month. Um, I, I think we can probably do Super Brawl before the end of March. I'm confident. Okay. So we'll, we'll try to give it the go. Try to crank them out. Right. Well, join us then for uh, our review of Super Brawl uh, 2. And uh, now that we're in 92, I want to power through it, Chad, because it's one of my favorite years in any promotion. So, well, up until... Up until a certain point, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm trying to enjoy the the Alan uh, the, the fry stuff while while, while it lasts, uh, and uh, my in, in, inconsistent pronunciation of his name is going to be an ongoing thing. How many different ways can I pronounce Frey Fry? Yeah, don't you think Glenn Frey kind of screws that up? It does for me. Well, they said Fry. Yeah, his like, his last I... name is pronounced Fry, yeah. but Glenn Frey from the Eagles. Yeah. Um, makes that confusing for me. Yeah, it, it does does for me. I've also I also grew up with a, a friend whose surname was Frey, and it was spelt exactly like that. So, mm. um, anyway, Chad, uh, it's been fun. Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody. <laughs>